like that. You Hello, everybody. Welcome that. to this it's Friday edition of the Look at My Face. Oh, goodness gracious. I'm very excited to be here today, as we are always very excited because when you host a show as good, as prolific, as everything you could ever want, like the Logan Blackman show, if you hosted a show like that, you'd be excited every freaking time you recorded an episode two. And this one is extremely fun because we are exactly two weeks away from the 2023 NFL draft. Give yourselves a round of applause, ladies and gentlemen. Now, obviously, those two weeks away are from where I'm sitting right now. It is April 13th right now. It is 6-13 on April 13th. Works out beautifully. The NFL draft, of course, is on April 27th, two weeks away. So when this show comes out on April 14th, it will not be two weeks away. You'll be two weeks away from rounds two and three of the NFL draft, which are, you know, are fun. Rounds two and three of the NFL draft are extremely fun because they always say is that you build your roster in days two and three. You get your stars in round one, you build your team, really build your team in rounds two and three. Like, it's very important. People sleep on the second round. People sleep on the second and third round. And day three can drag on a little bit because it's just super long because there's four rounds to get to, to get through, I mean. But they're important. They're extremely important. We'll get to all of that and more. But first, I want to go over some of the housekeeping items first. Make sure you follow the Logan Blackman Show on every single form of social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and, of course, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can find me on Twitter at Logan underscore Blackman. Instagram account is Blackman Logan. The show's Instagram account is The Logan Blackman Show 1. Facebook and YouTube, search Logan Blackman Show. Make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel and like and follow the Facebook page. Check out blog posts and all different forms of the podcast on those different forms of social media. And speaking of the podcast, the only way you know what I'm saying at this point in time in the show is if you are listening to the Apple Podcast and or Spotify accounts, I would greatly appreciate it. If you're not sure, or even if you are, just double check and see if you are subscribed or following the Apple Podcasts and Spotify accounts and leave a rating out of five stars on both of them. It can be a one-star rating. It can be a five-star rating. Just as long as you leave a description down below on why you feel the way you do, and that'd be br- that'd be brilliant. That'd be freaking crazy. That'd be awesome. It could be a one-star rating. Just tell me why you think it's a one-star rating. Do you think from the sound of my voice that my breath stinks? Do you think... That all these different negative factors, do I say something stupid, which has never happened to me in the history of this show, I'm a very level-headed and always smart person that should never have that problem, but if you feel like your opinion is that, you know, wrong and you want to tell me about it, then put that down in the description below, but of course, if you want to leave a five-star rating, like I know you would, tell me why you leave a five-star rating, I would greatly appreciate it. Now, speaking of five-star ratings, I would give a five-star rating to the Chicago Bulls, what a freaking transition we had right there. So the Chicago Bulls played the Toronto Raptors last night. DeMar DeRozan going back to Toronto in the play-in game, the 10-9 play-in game. I had some friends over to watch the game, lifelong Bulls fans, all of them. Uh, at least two of them. <laughs> I'm including myself in that. But it was a really fun game. It was stressful at times. It was stressful at times, and at points in the game, it would look like if the Raptors could just knock down some of the shots that they were taking, some of the wide-ass open shots they were taking, they would have, you know, ran away with the game. And as the second half started, they started to do that. Fred Van Vliet, of course, right before halftime, made the half-court shot when he's triple-teamed or double-teamed or whatever, made it, got him up to, I think, an 11-point lead at half, a 9- or 11-point lead at halftime. I can't remember exactly which one it was, but big momentum killer. 
whatever momentum the Bulls might have thought they had going into halftime, that shot rightfully ended it. And then the second half starts, the Raptors kept making shots, but the Bulls battled. They battled. And my friend Spencer and I talk about this all the freaking time. Like in high school, Spencer and I kind of had like support groups. And this is for the Cubs and the Bulls. Throughout my middle school, high school, college life, Spencer and I have always sat down and discussed all things Bulls and all things Cubs. The only difference is that he's a Bears fan. Other than that, I brought him up on the show before talking about how him being a Bears fan is just really funny because of the fact Bears fans, and this is not just Spencer, I'm pretty confident this is about 95% of the population that claims to be a Chicago Bears fan actually hates the Chicago Bears more than they actually like them. Now, I think the the ship's starting to turn around a little bit. They got some exciting things going on in the organization. Could be getting some good players in the draft as well. Could be building something there in Chicago. Got an exciting quarterback. Like, things are starting to look up for the first time in a freaking while. In a freaking while, this is the first time we can look back at a draft where the Bears actually move for a quarterback and go like, wow, they could have taken the guy that was way better later. <laughs> or just a little bit later. They never seem to do well in quarterbacks in the first round. They always seem to falter in some uh, some aspect. I understand Rex Grossman got to them to a Super Bowl or guided them to a Super Bowl more of a passenger than anything. Like Trent Dilfer won a Super Bowl. Like it's people want to claim like, oh, if you're a, you're not a Hall of Fame quarterback unless you win a Super Bowl. But then once somebody who wasn't a Hall of Fame quarterback wins a Super Bowl, oh now they're a Super Bowl. Now they're a Hall of Famer. Matt Stafford being that person. Like Trent Dilfer's not a Hall of Famer because he has a Super Bowl ring. And some people will claim he had a better career than the likes of, I don't know, Jim Kelly or something like that, which is not true, which is bogus. Jim Kelly had more talent in Trent Dilfer's bald-ass body than he did his pinky. Like, Jim Kelly was awesome. Jim Kelly was sweet. Troy Aikman, three Super Bowls. People overrate this guy like he's one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. He's fine. He's fine. But we all know the reason the Cowboys were (laughs) Troy Aikman was kind of the conductor, which I guess is important to a certain extent. But he wasn't the reason they were winning Super Bowls and stuff like that. I mean, they don't. They just didn't have the NFL's all-time leading rusher. They didn't just have one of the greatest, if not the greatest, offensive line of all time with a wide receiver tandem of Michael Irvin and Alvin Harper with an elite defense with Deion Sanders. Like, oh, no, it's, <laughs> it was Troy Aikman that won the Super Like, it's just funny to think about it like that. It's funny to think about that. And I don't even know why we went on that little tangent. I cannot remember why. Oh, the Bears drafting quarterbacks, like Rex Roseman getting to a Super Bowl losing to the Colts. Like Luke McNown getting drafted by the Bears early in the draft. Trubisky famously getting drafted before Patch Mahomes, which we brought up in the last episode. Just for a short period of time. Just for a short period of time. I don't want to make Bears fans feel that bad about the whole thing. It's in the past. They got Justin Fields now. Now the New York Jets are that team. They drafted Zach Wilson before Justin Fields. So that's their fault now. The Bears no longer have that scrutiny on them anymore. It's just funny how it all works out like that. Like, no one talks about the Cleveland Browns having the chance to draft all three of them. Like, they had the number one overall pick, and then they had the 12th pick, which they traded with the Texans, to get a guy they traded for and gave an exorbitant amount of money to just a few short years later. So it's just funny how it all works out. But Spencer and I were talking about this game, and when you look at when the Bulls made the trade for Zach Levine, which sent Jimmy Butler up to Minnesota, which saw them also get Chris Dunn, point guard from Providence, and then draft Lowry Markkinen with the seventh overall pick. Now, Lowry Markkinen is balling out for the Utah Jazz right now, has had a great season. This is the season that everybody was expecting from Lowry since he got drafted. He had a really good rookie year, 
And it just felt like he stagnated the rest of his time through the NBA until he got to Utah, and now he's turned into a very solid player. Made an all-star game this year. Very cool stuff. Chris Dunn. I don't I don't know where Chris Dunn is. I don't I don't know where Chris Dunn is. I that was a, a player that I was really excited to get. Because he was good at Providence. He was good at Providence. He was a great defender. And he was a high draft pick. Like he had all the the credentials, but it just didn't work out. But as far as Zach Levine goes, and I'm biased, of course, because I'm a Chicago Bulls fan. But out of all the players on that Timberwolves team, before the Jimmy Butler trade happened, the Bulls, in hindsight, got the best player. And the best player at the time was the third wheel of their trio in Minnesota with Cat and Andrew Wiggins. Like, I know a lot of people like Carl Anthony Towns, and rightfully so. He's a very good player. I know a lot of people like Andrew Wiggins. He's going through some stuff this season as well. But they're not better than Zach Levine. Zach Levine is one of the most underrated players in the NBA, and I'm excited to see him get these chances in the playoffs and have a win. Because last year, when they played the Bucks, they got absolutely railed. Absolutely railed by the Bucks. I think they won one game, and the rest of that was decided by every game felt like it was decided by thirty points. Like it was absolute domination. And they they might meet a similar fate if they beat the Miami Heat on Friday. They because they're going to have to play the Bucks again because the Hawks beat the Heat, which they were in the seven eight playoff game. So the Hawks beat the Heat. So the Hawks are playing the Celtics. So the Heat played the winner of the Bulls Raptors, and the Bulls won. So the Heat Bulls will play for the rights to lose to the Boston Celtics in the first round. Boston Celtics, obviously with Giannis Antetokounmpo and a lot of other really good players, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, Brooke Lopez. Like, they got A.J. Green, Bucks all-time leader in three-point percentage for a rookie season. You and I, Panther legend A.J. Green, one of the most exciting players I've ever seen in college from, a like, actually being there standpoint. I know, like, there's obviously more exciting players in college basketball, but for actually being in the arena, watching him play at UNI, in person, that was pretty exciting. So I'm happy he's doing well in the NBA right now. He even started the last couple of games of the season, at least started one of the last games of the season for the Bucks. I know it was in, like, relief of a few people because they're resting for the playoffs, but, hey, you know what? Get your starts when you can. And, hell, maybe the Bulls can pull off an upset if they do end up beating the Heat. Maybe they can pull off a massive upset and beat the team that slaughtered them last year. But in regards to Zach Levine, he's had games like this in Chicago where he's just absolutely taken over. Like, in the game last night, like, him and Fred Van Vliet would have, like, these little times of talking back and forth, but Fred Van Vliet is nowhere near Zach Levine. And I have no real issue with Fred Van Vliet. I think he's a fine player. He looks like Drake, and everybody, you know, it's fun to point that out. But Zach Levine's a dog, man. I love this dude. He is, I was talking to them last night. Zach Levine is my second favorite Bulls player of all time. And I think you could guess who my favorite Bulls player of all time is. And that's obviously you know, Cristiano Felicio. Other than Cristiano Felicio, though, that would go to, obviously, Derrick Rose. After Derrick Rose, Zach Levine is my number two. And then I would go, my top five favorite Bulls players of all time, because we revealed our lists last night, was Derrick Rose, Zach Levine, Kirk Heinrich, Jimmy Butler, and Joakim Noah. That is my top five favorite Bulls players of all time. Honorable mentions to the likes of Luol Deng. Gotta have some love for Luol Deng. So, you know, it's a, like... And then there were stretches where the Bulls were, like, really bad. And after the trade for Zach Levine was recovering from ACL surgery, there were some bad players in there, like, a joke. And he's like, Paul Zipster. Like, Justin Holiday, Like, Jaron Grant. Like, players like that that I could just go, like, oh, yeah, these are also my favorite players, Wink. But Zach Levine's just a baller. He's an insane player for the Chicago Bulls. 
And he, he, there were times where he was just like, yep, he's making that. Like, he made a fadeaway jumper at the top of the key. You're like, oh, yeah, that's it. Like, there were game-changing shots that Zach Levine made last night. And same goes for DeMar DeRozan. He came in late. But DeMar DeRozan was making key shots at the end of the game as well. Patrick Williams off the bench made some key shots. Tried to ju- posterize Jacopotl earlier in the game. He blocked it right before halftime. And then he got his chance to redeem himself in the second half. Dunked on him in the second half. Opposite of the court. But Patrick Williams played well last night. Caruso defensively played well. Got some key baskets late in the game as well. Pat Beverly scored one time, and it was a very key three in the corner. Kobe White, four for four from the field. 25 minutes, four for four. Vucevic played really well early, didn't really do a whole lot in the second half, but got a double-double, 13 rebounds, 14 points. Like This was a really team effort by the Bulls, who were down by 19 at one point, came back to win the game in Toronto, which is famously a very hostile environment for the playoffs, unless your name's LeBron James. Other than that, it feels like a very hostile place to play. Like Charles Oakley, who played for the Bulls and Raptors, sitting courtside rocking Raptors gear. He played for the Bulls twice. <laughs> He's rocking Raptors gear, and he wasn't there in the second half. He didn't. He wasn't on courtside second half because he knew the Bulls were going about. They were about to come back. And Pascal Siakam quietly. Scored 32 points. It it did not feel like he scored 32 points. He got a lot of those points early. Missed some key three free throws at the end. Got gifted three from freaking nowhere on a foul that was on the floor. It was even the referees came out after the game or today and said that it shouldn't have been a shooting foul. And he missed he missed two of them. One of he missed at least one of them because I remember one of them bounced off the front of the rim, which is crazy. And he had nine rebounds in the game. Scotty Barnes 19 points, 10 rebounds. Uh, OG Aninobi, 13 points. Uh, Fred Van Vliet, we talked about him a little bit ago. 26 points, 12 rebounds, 8 assists. Almost had a triple-double. But you know what? It don't matter because the boy Zach Levine dropped 39. Gary Trent, over 5 from 3 in the game. Not great. There were times the Bulls just kind of let him play. The Raptors starters played almost the entire game. Apart from Gary Trent coming off the bench, getting 17 minutes, no other bench player for the Raptors had over 10 minutes last night. Like The Raptors played their entire starting lineup pretty much the entire time, whereas the Bulls... Patrick Williams and Kobe White both got 25 points in there, or 25 minutes in this game, combined for 19 points. Kobe White also had five assists as well. This was just a really great game that watched Zach Levine take over, and the playoffs are where players really make a name for themselves because of the past few years, the Bulls haven't really been much to watch apart from Zach Levine. Like, that was the only player you would really watch in the Chicago Bulls was Zach Levine. Like, there were stretches where this team was trash. You can go back to the, the Hornets game from, uh, it was either last year or two years ago. Like, Zach Levine could take over games. You look at the game against Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler's return to Chicago when he was on the Timberwolves. Zach Levine took over. And that was before what Zach Levine is now. This is when he was still trying to shed off the skin of, oh, he was the third wheel on the team. No, he's a star player for the Bulls. This is his team. DeMar DeRosa was a great signing for the Bulls. He's a really nice combination. Him and Zach Levine have made a really nice combo in Chicago. Like, you have two guys that I was really nervous about that would they be able to allow the other person to take the last shot or be the guy when the team needs a basket when needed? And they both have been more than capable of allowing the other player to take over if need be. Like, DeMar's had games where he's taken over. But this is Levine's team, and I'm really excited to see this team go at least one more game. This season's been extremely frustrating because you look at, like, the Thunder. The Bulls and Thunder have the same record, but they feel so much differently because the Bulls had like 82 games from Vucevic, 82 games from Patrick Williams, 
and yet still finish below 500. They couldn't figure out the starting point guard position the entire year, which is because Lonzo Ball being out for the year and possibly out for his career, because no one ever, apparently, this is from reports, no one has ever recovered from the injury that he has and come back to play in the NBA. So I'm just hoping and praying that Lonzo gets back and healthy because when Lonzo plays, the Bulls are a much, much, much better team. They are a great, Lonzo Ball is a very good player. For those of you who don't like Lonzo because you don't like his dad, I know the hate's kind of died down a little bit since those UCLA days, but Lonzo Ball is a freaking baller. It's in the name, baller. Is he as good as LaMelo? No, but he's a very, very good point. He does everything you ask for him. Defensively, offensively, he'll get you rebounds, he'll get you assists. He shoots better than what he did when he first came to the NBA. His jump shot's fixed. I just want to see him back and healthy. Patrick Beverly has been a nice addition to this Bulls team, but long-term, Lonzo Ball needs to be that guy. I like Kobe White a lot. Is he going to be a, is he a guy that can be the Bulls' starting point guard and be a distributor? This is why a couple years ago when we had the show, we wanted the Bulls to draft Tyrese Halliburton. They drafted Patrick Williams instead, and I have no real issues with Patrick Williams as he's a really good defender, and he's really young still. He's very young. He's the youngest player in the NBA draft when they took him fourth overall. He's athletic as hell, but Tyrese Halliburton is balling out this year for the Indiana Pacers. Like He has had a great, he's second in the league in, the, in assists this year. 10.4 assists a game, 20.7 points a game. And this guy went 12th overall. Like It was crazy to see him go 12th overall when it happened. It's even crazier looking back going, this guy fell all the way to 20th, 12th overall. And I won in Met 4. We had a podcast episode where we did an NBA mock draft. I think it's the last NBA mock draft we did. But this is the guy I wanted for the Bulls. I thought he'd be the perfect player because you have ball-dominant players on the team. This is even before DeMar DeRozan got there. Like, the Bulls need a guy that can be a distributor that does not require the ball or does not need to have the ball every single time. He gets fine of dishing out an assist every once in a while. And that's what Tyrese Halliburton is. And he shoots over 40% from three. Like, Tyrese Halliburton is exactly what I wanted on this Bulls team. And that's what Lonzo Ball is, but Lonzo can't stay healthy. So, I again, I hope that he comes back and, health, and is healthy for the long term. Because I think he's a really good player. And he works really well with this Bulls team. But, man, I, I'm excited. This That game last night was the most excited I've been for a Bulls game in a while. Because it was the first playoff game in for freaking ever where I actually thought the Bulls are going to go in and win that game. Or I'm confident going in that they can win a game. Not necessarily that they will, but I'm confident enough saying that, oh, this team can beat the Raptors. Like last year against the Bucks, Or two years, however long ago that was against the Bucks. It feels like forever ago. All the year, like everything from now to about three years ago, all kind of squirms together. I don't really remember everything that's in that, in that time frame. Those years feel kind of lost. Everything kind of feels squished together. But like that Bucks series, never really thought they were going to have a chance in that series. The Celtics series, when Rondo got hurt, when they went up 2-0, I never really thought going into the playoffs that they were going to win that series. And they still got up two games to nothing, and then Rondo got hurt, and the Bulls ended up losing the series 4-2. This was awesome. The first, I know it hasn't been around forever, but the first 10 seed to win a play-in game and come back from a 19-point deficit on the road is insanely impressive. And now they have a chance to go down to Miami who didn't play particularly well against the Hawks and go in and have some home games in the playoffs. Granted, it's against the Bucs, and you're probably going to lose those games. But a home playoff game 
against a team that had to fight to get there, the Bucs will have a few weeks off. Or a few, at least a few, a week or two off. And sometimes that can hurt teams. More so in the NFL than you see it like the NBA and stuff like that. But it can happen. And the Heat are a good team. The Heat have a lot of really good players. Obviously, Jimmy Butler, a guy that I love, who I said is my third favorite Bulls player of all time, just behind Levine and Rose. Bam Adebayo is a really good player. Tyler Hero, I like him. Like They have good players. They have three players that average over 20 points a game. Like, the Heat are a solid team. They have experience. Like, Kyle Lowry's on the team. Kyle Lowry against the Hawks. What did he drop? He dropped some stupid number of points against the Hawks. Like, a random ad. Like, Kyle Lowry, who's averaging 11 points a game this season. I think he dropped, like, 33. What did he drop? Hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah, he dropped 33 points from the bench. Went 6 of 9 for 3. Had 5 assists in the game as well. So they might have to put him in the starting lineup this week. Or tomorrow, I guess. So we'll see. And Miami, obviously, like Toronto, can be a pretty hostile place to play in the playoffs. And the Hawks went in there and played very, very well. Trey Young's never backed down from that kind of scenario, though. Trey Young kind of loves being the villain of these games. So he's fine at absorbing all the hatred that the crowds, especially in New York with the Knicks when they play the Knicks. But, man, I'm excited. I'm really, really excited for this game. Like I last night, <laughs> we at halftime, we pulled up. Uh, what are we watching? Rajon Rondo has because we were talking about that Bulls Celtics series that ran like that team, that Bulls team back when Rondo and Wade and all them were there. That would have been perfect for Thibodeau. That was a terrible team for Fred Hoiberg. Like Fred Hoiberg comes from Iowa State, where they're spacing the court and shooting like crazy, and he comes to the NBA with the Bulls, and they signed Dwayne Wade and Rajon Rondo that offseason, who are famously not shooters. And you have Jimmy Butler on the team as well. He tried to make a lineup with those three plus Miritich and then Pau Gasol at center, benching Joakim Noah. Like, if that was Thibodeau, I would have been fairly confident with that team. And that team, I think, went like 41 and 41 or something like that. And then again, we talk about lost in the playoffs in the first round of the Boston Celtics after being up 2-0. But that wasn't a team Hoyer, Hoiberg could coach. And then after that season, they blew everything up. They traded Butler. They did all of this stuff. Like, it was done after one year, like basically one year, and then Hoiberg got canned. They brought in Jim Boylan, a yes man for the Bulls, who was best friends with John Paxson. He might not be, but it felt like it. The only reason he was there. Billy Donovan, I was really excited when they signed when they hired him. I didn't think there was a chance in hell they'd get him, and yet they got him. And yet there's been times it's been extremely frustrating this season. Again, the same thing with the the freaking Thunder and Bulls thing. Like, the Thunder are one of the youngest teams in the NBA. They have, like, a 1,000 first-round draft picks. And you got, like, Shea Gildas-Alexander, Josh Giddy going off for 30-plus points last night against the, t- uh, crap, against the, who did they play last night? The the Pelicans. That's exciting. We watched, we watched the Rajon Rondo highlights, and then uh, Vinny Del Negro, the Bulls team, Derrick Rose rookie year against the Celtics, 36 points. His first game in the NBA, first playoff game. Rookie of the year. I love that team. Like, that team was not good by a stretch. Like, you look at some of the players they had, like John Salmons, Ben Gordon, Tyrus Thomas, who they could have had, LaMarcus Aldridge, which would have been a thousand times better than Tyrus Thomas. Brad Miller. Who else was on that team? Joakim Noah. I say Luol Deng. I don't remember. Kirk Heinrich was on the team, obviously. There's some other, obviously, other players on that team. But those are the main players I remember. And they took the Celtics to seven games the season after they just won the the championship. 
after they just won their first NBA championship in forever, and then like they'd like to remind you they think they won like a hundred games. You just listen to them talk for a little bit. Like they won one championship and went to two. They act like they won a hundred of them. Like they were one of the greatest teams of all time. They won one championship. And they lost the Lakers the next time they went. But man, playoff basketball is fun. Playoff basketball is fun. And it, it, the NBA and my, Jared brought this up last night. We were watching the game. We were watching the highlights of Rondo, and there were some like games versus like the Magic in the playoffs or the Heat in the playoffs when he's on the Celtics. When you had that, for how annoying they are post retirement, <laughs> they were really fun to watch when they played. And he was like, "Why doesn't the NBA feel like this anymore?" Like, I remember sitting up and never missing a game. I like I will miss games from time to time, and I don't really feel that big of a deal. Feel that much about it. Like the NBA when I was a kid was awesome. And the, this was even before the Bulls were good. Like before Derrick Rose got there. They were fun. I just loved watching basketball. And then around some time, like, I just stopped really caring. Like, we don't talk about the NBA that much on the show. But when the Bulls are good, gosh darn it, I'm going to talk about it. <laughs> I talk about the Bulls being 40 and 42. Imagine the Hawks have to train for DeJounte Murray and then being 41 and 41. Like, that's a little bit of a not going to what you thought you were going to be this year. Same with the Mavericks. Like, I remember when Kyrie Irving got traded there, everybody was like, oh, this team could challenge for a championship. I think we might have talked about it here on the show about that. And they missed the playoffs. And Kyrie Irving's not coming back. We know that's not happening. I can kind of I kind of compared the situation of Kyrie Irving to that of, like, Brett Favre. Like, Brett Favre, when he left the Packers, didn't want to go to the Jets. He wanted to go to a team that could beat the Packers or that played the Packers. Kyrie Irving, when he said he wanted to get out of the Nets, he wanted to go play with LeBron. But the Nets are not, like the Packers, I know it's a different circumstance because the Packers were obviously weren't going to trade him in division to the Jet, to the Vikings, uh, Bears, or Lions, or teams like that, because they traded him to the Jets. And he was there for one year, and then went to the Vikings the next offseason. And you got Kyrie Irving, who wants out of, uh, out of Brooklyn, and Brett Favre didn't necessarily want out, he just fake retired like 100 times. They're like, okay, we're tired of this, we're going over Aaron Rodgers. It's kind of a similar situation we got right now. But... They obviously weren't going to give in to what he wanted. They weren't going to go, oh, yeah, you want to quit? Yeah, we'll go give you the, we'll go send you to LeBron. No, they weren't going to do that. So they sent his ass down to Dallas. He's going to stay there for a year or a half year, I guess. And he's going to go up to LA or attempt to. We'll see what happens with D'Angelo Russell. D'Angelo Russell played well. He's played well. I don't think he played particularly well in the the play-in game. But against the Timberwolves, I don't remember exactly what his stats were. I know Anthony Edwards didn't play very well in that game. I don't, D'Angelo Russell didn't play that well, if I remember correctly. I know it was only a couple days ago. Yeah, he scored two points, one, one, one for nine from the field. Had eight assists. But other than that, he's played well since going to L.A. He's played well since going to L.A. Back to L.A. But, man, this is fun. Playoff basketball is fun. Playoff hockey starting up, too. The Blackhawks just announced Jonathan Taves isn't coming back next year. It's his last game in Chicago. It sucked. The end of the it's end of era. We already said that with Patrick Kane getting traded, but now the Blackhawks, Jonathan Taves is done, so all the core is gone. So it's a whole new team in Chicago, and it's gonna suck. And I, I'm being pessimistic because I always am. The they're gonna suck so much ass, like they have. They're right now the third worst team in hockey. One point above, or two, one point above, like Anaheim and Columbus. They might be two points above a Columbus, but Columbus got a game in hand. They've only played eighty games. Blackhawks played eighty-one, and they're not going to get Connor Bedard. That's going to suck. It's going to absolutely suck. 
and I, I'm not even like I'm not even gonna allow myself to get excited or try to play a game with my like try to decide like oh the Blackhawks will get Connor Bedard. I'm not gonna think like that until I can guarantee they have the number one overall pick, and the only way I'll know that is they win the draft lottery, which I'm not confident they're gonna do. I'm not confident saying that at all because the draft lottery obviously is rigged. <laughs> obviously. Like with the NBA, the New York Knicks, they were trying really hard to get Zion. Guess what? Screw you guys. The Pelicans get the number one overall pick. The Pelicans, I'm pretty sure, are still owned by the league. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty, they were owned by David Stern because he's the one that broke, tra- set the trade off of Chris, pa- Chris Paul going to L.A. for the Lakers. Not the Clippers, the Lakers. Play with Kobe Bryant. The Coyotes are the team that's owned by Gary Bettman. So the Coyotes, they're not in the running of the top five worst teams in the league, but guess what? They're probably going to get Connor Bedard. That would be the guess as Connor Bedard goes down there. Now, if he doesn't go to the Blackhawks, I would be cool seeing – I, w- I kind of like to see him go to, like, Columbus. I think that would be fun. I think it would be fun to see him go to Columbus. Like, you can play with Patty Line. You can see him play with Johnny Gaudreau, playing with Johnny Hockey. I think that'd be kind of fun. I'd be I'd be all right with that. It wouldn't hurt my feelings too much. Like they're in the Eastern Conference, they're on the other side of the conference. It doesn't bother me too much. But of course, I would like to see the Blue Jackets win their next two games. So then the Blackhawks have the number one overall pick. But if the Blackhawks don't get the number one overall pick, then I'd be fine with Columbus getting it. And I guess Anaheim would be fine. Like the two teams below the Blackhawks are jointly with the Blackhawks right now. Like you got the Ducks got some exciting players. Like Trevor Zegers obviously is there. Like him and Connor Bedard would be really fun to see. So I'd, I'd be fine with either one of them, really. Like, But obviously, being a Blackhawks fan, I want to see Connor Bedard go to Chicago. Because I remember back in the day, and I say back in the day, like, what was that? The 2015 draft? I think it was the 2015 NHL draft. Hold on. NHL draft. Was this it? Yes! Okay, it was the 2015 draft. The buildup... Because obviously I have a soft spot, spot, soft spot for the Buffalo Sabers. Obviously, I watched the Buffalo Sabers. I, my dad and I used to watch the Sabers and Blackhawks growing up. So I, I will always have a, a love for the the Buffalo Sabers as well. It's the only league in professional sports where I will have another team. I like watching the Sabers, and it's not like I'm like, oh, I'm a Blackhawks fan who suck, but also I'm a Maple Leafs fan. I would say a Penguins fan, but they just missed the playoffs for the first time in forever. So. Screw you guys. Or a Bruins fan. Screw the Bruins. But I remember sitting down watching this. The 2015 draft, for those of you who don't know, is the Connor McDavid draft. And Connor McDavid, obviously, is the best player in hockey. And I know Sidney Crosby's been great throughout his career. Connor McDavid is the best player I've ever seen. Like, this dude's absolutely ridiculous. To be that fast and that skilled is insane. Like, I've had more... Like, oh my God, what did I just watch moments with Connor McDavid that I have with anybody else? And I don't want to dis- – I'm not disrespecting Crosby. I'm not disrespecting uh, Ovechkin. Patrick Kane, I guess long-term. I, 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 Patrick Kane, I've had more of those because I've watched a lot more of Patrick Kane being a Blackhawks fan. But in regards to – like, Connor McDavid's better than Patrick Kane. Well, I mean, we're aware of this, right? Like, Patrick Kane never had 150 points in a season. I, I'm saying this as Patrick Kane being my favorite player of all time. Patrick Kane being the greatest uh, United States hockey player of all time. But he never did that. And I'm content in saying that. I'm content in saying that. But watching this this lottery with the Sabres and Oilers picking one and two, Eichel the American guy, 
McDavid, the Canadian, obviously the Canadian team is going to win the, the lottery. But man, if that ping pong ball went a little bit differently and the Sabres wound up with McDavid and Eichel went up to Edmonton, how different we'd be looking at things right now. Like the Sabres are really good. The Sabres, are, they didn't make the playoffs, but they're a fun team. I really enjoyed watching the Sabres this year. Like, Tage Thompson's been freaking awesome. Alex Tuck, they got him in the Jack Eichel trade. Like, I have no, I love the team that they have, but if you have Connor McDavid, every team in the show would love Connor McDavid. Even if you have an exciting team, you would want Connor McDavid on your team. Every player, every team wants Connor McDavid. Because the beautiful thing in hockey, you can have multiple lines. Like, you can have a great center. And he can play on the second line and be fine. And be perfectly content with doing that. If you can get Connor McDavid, it's not like having a, a different quarterback or something. No, 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 no. Like you get Connor McDavid. Like they have Dressidle McDavid. Like they're doing it fine up there. Like, I, but I love like this Sabres team is really fun to watch. They didn't make the playoffs, but they're fun to watch. Like Tuck, Thompson, Jeff Skinner, Owen Power, Jack Quinn. Kyle Pozo, we'll see how long he stays in Buffalo. He's 34 years old captain. We'll see who the next captain is. It'll be either Darlene or Alex Tuck being a, a, a Western New York native. But Darlene, winning the lottery for Rasmus Darlene was awesome. Like, there's a lot of good things to be excited about for the Buffalo Sabres. Blackhawks, like, I don't want again, I don't want to get my hopes up because that's what killed my dad during this draft was when the ping pong ball bounced the wrong way. And the Buffalo Sabres wound up with the second overall pick. Now, Jack Eichel was also seen as a generational talent. So it wasn't like, ah, oh, we lost up McDavid. Oh, looks like we're getting freaking, I don't know. Who's, <laughs> like Dylan Strome went third. Dylan Strome and Connor McDavid, or like Connor, Dylan Strome and Jack Eichel aren't even close to each other. And I have no issue with Dylan Strome. played for the Blackhawks. But you're not getting, like it's not, it wasn't that situation. And Dylan Strome was seen as a really good prospect there. Obviously, he was drafted there overall. Well, I'm not even, I'm not getting my hopes about getting Bedard. I'm not. And hopefully this like changes the way the universe works and by some grace of God miracle, Connor Bedard winds up in Chicago. Again, do I think it'll happen? No. But it'd be really cool. <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be pretty it'd be a lot cooler if it did. But man, I I like we're talking about playoffs. The NBA playoffs are fun, but the the Stanley Cup playoffs are the best postseason ever. It's not even close. It, it's not close. The Stanley Cup playoffs are have so much tradition in it. Like you don't trust the you don't not touch the trophy after winning the conference final. You do not touch the trophy. And then watching them lift the Stanley Cup. I watched Jonathan Taves lift up the Stanley Cup three times. And then I see Alex Petrangelo put his grubby mitts all over. <laughs> Hurt my hurt my heart watching the St. Louis Blues with the Stanley Cup. That killed me. Oh my god! But now the Blues suck too. So I mean, that's fine. That's the positives out of here. At least I've never had to see the Wild win one. I've watched the Red Wings win championships. Uh, like watching pa- watching Datsuk. Ah, uh, Datsuk hurt me so much. I remember watching them in the playoffs and Blackhawks beating the Red Wings in the playoffs. Brent Seabrook sniped it. I think it was past Ryan Howard. Like it was. I love, I loved beating the Red Wings. I loved beating the Red Wings. And I'd like beating Dylan Larkin. Dylan Larkin and Jeff Skinner got into a fight the other night, which was awesome. But the Stanley Cup playoffs, watching those, like when the Kings and Devils made the playoffs, when the Kings quote-unquote dynasty started, when they went to the playoffs and won 
the Stanley Cup against Zach Prize, Iowa native Zach Prize. Not really, but we count him because his dad was a part owner in the Tam- the <laughs> Des Moines Buccaneers. Like Jonathan Quick, Dustin Brown. Like they had a fun team. Drew Dowdy. And a lot of these guys, like Kopitar, a lot of these guys are still there. Now, obviously not Jonathan Quick got traded to Columbus, then got traded to, or got released or traded to Vegas like the same day. Dustin Brown got a statue after getting stripped from the captaincy for Anze Kopitar. But the Stanley Cup playoffs are so much fun. So much fun. I watched the Bruins win a Stanley Cup. I watched Vancouver absolutely riot after losing the Stanley Cup to the Bruins. Watched the Lightning win a bunch of Stanley Cups. I watched the Lightning lose in the first round of the Columbus Blue Jackets, a team we just brought up. And then posting a full-page ad in the newspaper saying how sorry they were for losing to a... Not losing, getting swept by the Columbus Blue Jackets in the first round. I watched the Ducks win a Stanley Cup. I watched the Ottawa Senators. It's crazy the sound. I watched the Ottawa Senators go to a Stanley Cup final. I love watching the Stanley Cup playoffs. It's so much fun. Even if you don't care about hockey, I would just recommend you watch the Stanley Cup playoffs. Now, it sucks because a lot of the old guard, like, there's kind of a change of the guard here. Like, the Capitals didn't make the playoffs. The Penguins didn't make the playoffs. But we got, like, the Devils with Jack Hughes. Like, Jack Hughes just set a new points record for the for the New Jersey Devils. You got the Patrick Kangers in the playoffs, which is a team I'm obviously rooting for in the playoffs. The Maple Leafs, can they actually do something in the playoffs this year? We'll have to see. Bruins set a points record for the season, or win record for a regular season. So, obviously, they're not winning the Stanley Cup. Obviously. When's the last time a record-breaking team won a championship? Like like that. Where you they were so dominant throughout the regular season and then they just won a championship. Like the undefeated Patriots didn't do that. The regular season baseball win record is held by the Seattle Mariners and they didn't win a World Series. Like it just feels like every time there's this uber-dominant team like this where they're breaking win records and all that stuff, they never actually win a championship. So I don't know who I'm going to say is going to win a championship. I'd be cool with, like, the Devils winning one. I think that'd be kind of cool. I'd be cool with the Rangers winning one, obviously, because Patrick Kane's there. I'd love to see him win another Stanley Cup. Obviously, the Avalanche are the reigning champions. I watched the Blackhawks play them opening day. Oilers, I would love to see Connor McDavid win a, win a Stanley Cup. It get Canada their first Stanley Cup since 94, 93-94 with the, with the, the Montreal Canadiens. Yeah, the Stanley. I, I can't reiterate this enough. The the Canadian. That not. Well, that was a fun Stanley Cup final too. When the Canadians made it randomly, like Shea Weber, Nick Suzuki, like they're randomly when co like the the insane home court home ice advantage the Lightning had <laughs> versus the Canadians because Canada had their COVID restrictions still up, so they couldn't fill out the Bell Center. Oh man, the Stanley Cup playoffs. So we got like. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun. We're in the last day of the regular season tonight. And, I mean, well, not technically because, like I said, the the freaking Blue Jackets and Sabres play on Friday because the Sabres and Blue Jackets and the Avalanche and Predators have only played 80 games. So they need to play that extra game before the playoffs start, and that will decide or help the Blackhawks in their quest. So I need the Sabres to lose. So I am cheering for the Penguins to lose the Blue Jackets. I'm not cheering for the Blue Jackets. I'm cheering for the Penguins to lose and I'm cheering for the Sabres to lose. Because if I cheer for the Blue Jackets, that feels like I'm cheering for them to lose. Because when you're at this point in the season, you're this close to getting a generational prospect that could change the fate of your franchise potentially, you're cheering for the other team to lose. I'm not cheering for the other team. I'm cheering for a team to lose. 
It's the Penguins and Sabres. The Penguins and Sabres both out of the playoffs and not playing for anything, so let's see some prospects. Let's see some young players play. Let's do that stuff. But with that, what's fun is this is my first year of fantasy hockey. First year I've ever done fantasy hockey. And I'm going to win a championship. Let's give me a round of applause, ladies and gentlemen. Let's give Logan a round of applause. I, I, again, I've watched a lot of hockey throughout my life. I've watched a lot of bad hockey. I've seen a lot of good hockey. I watched the Sabres be good for the first portion of my life, and then they trade everybody, and then the Blackhawks, right after they traded everybody, Blackhawks start getting good, like really good. So good they win three Stanley Cups in five years. And then the Blackhawks start stinking, the Sabres stink, and then the Sabres start getting good, and the Blackhawks start really stinking. So, but, so I like to think I know a little bit about the show. I like to think I know a little bit about the NHL. So when we did fantasy hockey, and I'm in a league with people that have played hockey before, that have grown up around hockey. So I wasn't like, I'm going to dominate this league, but I was fairly confident in myself. I was fairly confident in my abilities. Now, I do have to consider, there. I'm sure there were some teams in here that did not check their lineups all too often. Like I was setting it weeks in advance. So I didn't need to worry about it. And then I'd check it every once in a while to go like, okay, this player's out or this player's starting to heat up. But I, I drafted really well. And at the time, I didn't think that because I, I think we talked about it on the show about how I wasn't confident going into the season. I did the same thing for fantasy football. Not confident going into the season and winning a championship. I drafted Alex Tuck, Rasmus Dahlin, Tage Thompson, Owen Power. Like I drafted Sabres players. When has that ever paid off at any other point ever in recent memory than this year? Like, Alex Tuck. Season's obviously not over, so we can adjust his rating here. Alex Tuck finished eighth in points. Rasmus Dahlin was the second highest for his position. Tage Thompson, the 90-point getter, eighth. Like, Tage Thompson, I this dude's been awesome. Dude's awesome. Dude's absolutely awesome. Love the guy. And I got Matty to Chuck. I got Brady to Chuck. I got Alex DeBrincat, Buff Blackhawks legend. Nico Heischer, captain of the New Jersey Devils. I got Tim Stutzel. I got Pavel Bukinevich from the St. Louis Blues. Only I said only Blues, and I see Justin Falk down there. But I drafted Jordan Bennington, cut his ass. I had Jack Campbell, cut his ass. And then brought in the likes of Linus Olmark, Savers legend, and Elias Samsonov, who I replaced Darcy Kemper with. Or I, I replaced Darcy Kemper after because I cut Bennington for Kemper. And then I cut Kemper for Samsonov because there was a weak stretch where Kemper was getting me negative points. And then obviously I have Ilya Sorokin as well. And Ilya Sorokin I've had the entire time. I drafted him. And then I had Kale McCarr, drafted him with my first overall pick. I think I got Brady to Chuck. Or no, I got Maddie to Chuck with my second overall pick, I believe. And then I had likes, my defense was elite. I rarely touched my defense because there were some players that were injured to start the season. But I had Dougie Hamilton. I had Rasmus Dahlin, as I said. Justin Falk. Charlie McAvoy, Chris Letang, Shea Theodore, Devin Taves, Morgan Riley, and obviously Kale McCarr's on IR. So I, I added a player. I don't remember who I added to replace him. but And then someone, towards the end of the season, because he's been out for a little bit, dropped Kirill, Kapri, Kirill Kaprizov. So I picked up Kaprizov. Now, he's only played two games for me since I picked him up. But just that fact, that that fear factor of having to play Kaprizov is just it's terrifying to people. I have Artemi Panarin as well. I picked him up in free agency. People are getting a little too trigger happy with if they're not performing right away, we got to cut them. So I'd sneak in, pick them up, and it worked out fairly well for me. 
Now, Linus Olmark, I picked him up early in the season. And he's going to probably, he should be the Veneza winner. We'll see if that actually happens. But Sabres legend. He's not playing tonight. Samsonov's not playing tonight either. So we'll see how they do in the playoffs. Obviously, again, Linus Olmark, the goaltender, one of the goaltenders for the best team in hockey this year in the Boston Bruins. But we'll see. We'll see. I dominated the championship. Like, the game's over. There's games going on right now, but I'm currently up 351 to 264. So I don't really have a fear of losing this game. Like, I'm currently winning by, what, 86 points? 87 points? Like, I'm not really nervous about me scoring zero and the other person scoring 87. It's actually, I'm playing Brady in the championship game. And Brady this entire time hasn't scored more than 46. I've had a game where I scored over 58 in this playoff series. 58 points. And I'm not going to like sit here and bash Brady's team or anything because Brady, he didn't check his team. He lost a game to me. I ended his winning streak. He was undefeated start of the season. I beat him. And he pretty much said, well, screw that. I'm not checking anymore. So fair play to him for making it all the way to the championship game. But yeah, I this my team was awesome. I, I was not confident going in. And then my team started winning. I didn't check the first week of the season. And then Brady, Jared, and I went down to the Bills-Chiefs game. And Brady was like, well, I, I think I he asked me or I asked him. We were talking about fantasy hockey. So that was the first week of the season. And I didn't check my team one time. So I lost week one. And the rest of it, I was set. I lost three games the entire year. Lost week one. And then the rest of the season, I checked my team. Picked up free agents. Made roster adjustments when need be. I have Nick Suzuki on my roster I picked up and dropped a few times. I had Patrick Kane. I picked him up and dropped him. I was going to keep him on the team just to say, oh, Patrick Kane and I won a cup together, but Kirill Kaprizov was available. And the chances of him coming back in the regular season were decent. And he played two games, so. Got me about four points in one of the games. Three, I think it was somewhere somewhere in the, somewhere between three and four points. But it was fun. Fantasy hockey was fun. So I have won. I have played three fantasy leagues this season, essentially. I played fantasy football. I played March Madness, because that's kind of fantasy, right? That's kind of, that counts. That counts. And I played fantasy hockey. I won out of those three things. So I was in four, or no, three brackets. And I was in two fantasy football leagues? I think it was just two. So I won one out of two fantasy football leagues. I won two out of three brackets. And I won one out of one fantasy hockey. So this is why I host the Logan Blackman show, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) I'm just so much freaking smarter than every person out there. (laughs) And this is why you listen to the Logan Blackman show every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Here on the Logan Blackman show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And again, make sure to follow me on every single form of social media. But this... It's a fun. I like how this show started. I've, I've enjoyed talking about this random stuff. Like, fantasy hockey. Fa- I haven't. I played fantasy basketball in high school. Uh, that that was one year. I, it was not even real. So, technically, my high school, or the school I went to, they do it. So, pre-K through fifth grade is elementary school. And then it was, there was a sixth and seventh grade building. And there was an eighth and ninth grade building. And then there was a 10th, 11th, and 12th grade. So I, I got my years wrong. I, play, I played fantasy basketball in 10th grade. I thought I played it my freshman year, 9th grade, when I was in the middle school. But I played it sophomore year of high school. Played it one year, and that was it. That was done. And that was like the year Derrick Rose was coming back or was supposed to come back. So I just wa- I wanted him on my team. Long season. Thought I could do something with it, and I didn't. I, 
and, and it turned it up like, hey, I'll give you this player for three bucks or something like that. So I haven't played fantasy basketball. I tried to play fantasy baseball in a regular, like a random league. Like my team was Junior Lakes Lake House or Junior Lakes House, Junior Lake House. I, I Junior Lake Cubs player, one of my favorite Cubs players during the drought era. Um, so yeah, I tried to play fancy baseball. I lost interest after a day. I did a random ass draft with random people. I, Tom, who I brought up on the show before, he asked me if I was thinking about doing fancy baseball this year. I was like, I haven't played fancy baseball in years. And I only did it because I was super bored. And I was like, you know what? This could be kind of fun. And you got to try it fancy. Like I've, I've thought about it. I've never actually tried it, but fancy NASCAR, I think it'd be very interesting, but I'm happy I did fancy hockey. I'm happy I did fancy hockey. This was fun. This was fun. I, I, I love hockey. I love watching hockey. Watched a lot of, again, I've watched a lot of hockey in my time. So I was, when he, when my friend asked me if I wanted to do this, I was like, oh yeah, of course. And I ended up freaking annihilating everybody. (laughs) Fun stuff, fun stuff. But man, the drafts are the best part. Like I, I don't, they're fantasy sports are fun in general, but like getting together for a draft, whether it's in person or like you're meeting on zoom or something, draft day is always fun for fans. Like, and the fantasy football stuff, we met on Zoom because everybody's in different states. I've been in the same fantasy football league since seventh grade, and we still meet up, and we do it on Zoom, and I'll go over to Spencer's house because he's in town. So, I'll, like, I went to Spencer's house because, remember, we had the, the Wi-Fi issue back then. Back then. So my first month living here. <laughs> and um, so I went to Spencer's and did it, but it's still fun to do that. And that's like the NFL draft. Like, great transition again. We are killing transitions today. Killing it transitionally today. And, like, when you look at the NFL draft, whether it was the COVID year where we had Roger Goodell sitting on his couch eating M&Ms or whatever the hell was in that jar versus whatever, like, the normal draft, it's awesome to watch. It is crazy awesome to watch. And there's so much rumors that will go around every freaking day, and there's one that's popped up a lot more recently than... Than uh than more than some other ones, and the one that I'm talking about, if you follow this to a certain extent, you don't even need to follow it that religiously to maybe have heard this, but that's about the Houston Texans. So remember when we talked about on Wednesday's show, we said all the signs are pointing to like not all the signs, but there's a lot of a lot pointing to the Texans taking a quarterback, a lot pointing to them taking a quarterback, and a lot of the reports leading up to this point had been that the quarterbacks in the draft will go number one and two, and it'll be Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud in whatever order. <clears throat> That's what we're going to have. But and in the coming days, more and more, you know, rumors have circulated about Will Anderson to the Texans reportedly becoming, quote, more and more of a possibility. Texans head coach D'Amico Ryans reportedly, quote, loves Anderson and is heavily leaning towards him. The Texans are also reportedly, quote, not sold on either Anthony Richardson, C.J. Stroud, or Will Levis. The Texans and Lions are the only teams to host Anderson on a top 30 visit so far. Will Anderson's a baller. He's a baller. By all accounts, he is probably the best player in the draft, given off-the-field issues as well. Because I know, obviously, people are going to say Jalen Carter is the best player in the draft. I think there's a fair fair reason to say that. But Will Anderson is, like, what we've seen in college and what we're seeing in, like, the, the tests and all that, Will Anderson's the best player in the draft. So the Houston Texans taking Will Anderson is not that insane. Because if you look back, and it can come back to bite them absolutely in the ass. 
Because you look at the Indianapolis Colts sitting at four. There's a chance. So let's say hypothetically <clears throat> that the the so first off, the Texans, the only quarterback, like we just said, the only quarterback they like is Bryce Young. And as we get closer to the draft, like Will Anderson becoming more and more of a possibility for them, uh, there was a report today, Schefter, uh, Bryce Young visiting the Texans is, quote, a waste of time. The ship has sailed. Quote, I think Bryce Young is going to be the Panthers' number one pick. Remember what we talked about a few weeks ago? The Panthers traded up, apparently, with the idea of drafting Bryce Young. That's what the idea was. I'm drafting Bryce Young. Now, they said he also said it was similar to that of the San Francisco 49ers, and they traded up to third overall to draft Mac Jones. Obviously, they changed their mind, ended up drafting, you know, let Trey Lance instead. We'll see in a coming in the coming years if that was the smart decision or not. Right now, it's leaning towards Mac Jones would have been the smarter pick because Trey Lance has played four games. So we need to see a little bit more from Trey Lance. Mac Jones has been to a playoffs and has been invited to a Pro Bowl. <laughs> Man, freaking Mac Jones making a Pro Bowl is so funny to me. But there's obviously things that could change going into the draft. You have the idea of drafting Bryce Young, but if you trade up and you go like, well, this guy's we could build something with Richardson or build something with Levis or build something with Stroud more than what we could with Young. And I've said this a thousand times. It's been consistent throughout the entire season. Bryce Young, to me, is the best quarterback in this draft. Bryce Young has always been the best quarterback in this draft. I, I shouldn't say always, because there were portions of last season where C.J. Stroud passed him for like two weeks, and then rest of it has been Bryce Young. Like, Bryce Young is better than C.J. Stroud. And I, like, you see the comparisons between Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud, and we've said this a bunch, talking about the only thing C.J. Stroud does is better at than Bryce Young is that he's taller and slightly more accurate. Other than that, Bryce Young is better than C.J. Stroud. And I like C.J. Stroud. I like C.J. Stroud. But I've said this before. There are some things around C.J. Stroud that I... And there's all the quarterbacks, I guess. But less with Bryce Young than the other three in the in the top quarterback conversation. So I can understand to a certain extent why the Houston Texans are quote-unquote hesitant. And that's why a couple weeks ago when we talked about the report that said CJ's people view C.J. Stroud in the Trevor Lawrence era, aura or that realm, it's like, no, not now. What? What are you talking about? They're not even close. Like, C.J. Stroud's not a quote-unquote can't-miss prospect. I like C.J. Stroud, but he's not Trevor Lawrence. He's not that level of prospect. And I can understand the concerns of Bryce Young being small. But Bryce Young can make plays. So if Bryce Young goes number one overall and the Texans aren't sold and go Willie Anderson, that opens it over to the Cardinals. That That price for that pick skyrockets. Absolutely skyrockets. So if that happens, I would imagine the Colts trade up one spot to three, and then I would imagine the Raiders trade up to four. That's what I would imagine happens. If, the, of course, the Texans trade Dick Will Anderson, and then that would leave the Colts with C.J. Stroud and the Raiders with Anthony Richardson, because apparently they really like Anthony Richardson. They've wined and dined Anthony Richardson, according to reports. Dave Ziegler wined and dined Anthony Richardson. But the thing is, like when you do this, Though Will Anderson's considered to be the best player in the draft by a lot of people out there, the position that's the most important to fix and the position that's the most important to get right is the quarterback position. The quarterback position is the most important position in all of sports. Not just football, all of sports. You have to know what literally every single person is doing. And it, the, as the old saying goes, if you get your quarterback right, everything else can kind of fall into place to a certain extent. You have got to get your quarterback right. The Bills were in quarterback purgatory for years. Years. 
17 different quarterbacks since Jim Kelly, and then got Josh Allen. The Bears have been quarterback purgatory pretty much their entire existence. Like, even go with Jim McMahon winning, going to a Super Bowl and winning it. Jim McMahon was only there for like three years, three, four years. He wasn't there for a long time. And there was a bunch of bad quarterbacks that followed Jim McMahon. Like, if you want to go, that's the best quarterback in, in team history, then fine. I mean, was it Sid Luckman would probably be the guy you'd say is the best quarterback in Bears history, if I'm thinking of the right person? Because there's a lot of those old guys that you can kind of morph all together. Hold on. I just got to make sure he was the Bears quarterback. Okay, yes, he was. Sid Luckman was the Bears quarterback. Sid Luckman's probably the greatest Bears quarterback of all time. But then after him, Jay Cutler holds all the Bears passing records. Like, that's what we're talking about here. You are in quarterback purgatory. The Bears and Bills, very similar realms in regards to quarterback. Go and look in the first round recently, the top quarterback they took in the draft. Bills had like J.P. Lossman, Trent Edwards, E.J. Manuel. The Bears have Luke McNown, Rex Grossman, Mitch Trubisky. Like, players like that. So when you're the Houston Texans, who traded Deshaun Watson away, you drafted Davis Mills in the third round in 2021, and Davis Mills is fine, but it's kind of a similar-ish situation that when the Jaguars had Gardner Minshew. Now, the difference is, you're not, again, you're not drafting a Trevor Lawrence. Like, if they feel that they can win games, per se, with a Davis Mills, rather than drafting a quarterback, and D'Amico Ryan's being defensive-minded head coach coming from San Francisco built all their success, pretty much, off the strength of their defensive line and pass rush, then yes, I can understand from a head coaching standpoint you wanting Will Anderson. But there's also been reports recently that have popped out that says the Texans' ownership is taking control of the draft. So what that loosely tells me, I'm not saying you need to believe this, believe whatever you want, but that they're going to draft a quarterback. They want a quarterback. Domingo Ryans may want Will Anderson. And the Texans may view Will Anderson as the best prospect in the draft. May view him as the best player. They gave him a reported or a perfect grade. But if you can get your quarterback figured out, that solves a lot of issues. And I understand, again, Davis Mills has done good things to a certain extent. But you look back to the 2017 NFL draft. If you could do that draft over again for the Cleveland Browns, would you still draft Miles Garrett first overall? Would you draft Miles Garrett first overall? If you're a Cleveland Browns fans or not, you look back at that 2017 draft, they needed a quarterback in that draft. They needed to draft a quarterback. Because you look at the Cleveland Browns prior to the 2017 NFL draft, so the 2016 Browns were also not a very good football team. Obviously, because they went 1-15 in and had the first overall pick again. So you look at the roster that they had from the quarterback position. Here was the Browns quarterbacks in 2016. RG3, Kevin Hogan, Cody Kessler, and Josh McCown. I liked Cody Kessler at USC, but man, that's your quarterbacks. That's your quarterbacks. And in a similar situation to what we are in right now, the Browns were not, quote, in love with any of the quarterbacks in the the draft. So you know what they ended up doing? They drafted Miles Garrett. And Miles Garrett's been a very good player since going to Cleveland. Obviously, Miles Garrett, really great player, really good player. But if you went back, would you not draft Patrick Mahomes first overall? I'm not sitting here and saying that C.J. Stroud and Anthony Richardson and Will Levis or even Hendon Hooker will become the next Patrick Mahomes or someone like that. Like the Texans, the Browns currently have a quarterback that they could have drafted and they paid him, what, 230 mil guaranteed? Some ins- ridiculous number? 
that has screwed up every single contract in the NFL for quarterbacks since then. Like, look at Lamar. Lamar's sitting up because he wants money like Deshaun Watson, a quarterback he's better than. I want to get the exact numbers for what they paid Deshaun Watson. Because it was, yeah, yeah, 200, okay, five-year, 230 deal, largest contract, and most guaranteed money in NFL history. This is a guy you could have drafted. So this is a situation that we're talking about. And the Browns since passing on Mahomes, and again, Mahomes was not seen as a slam dunk first ballot Hall of Famer, two-time MVP, two-time Super Bowl champion in five years and starting. But again, if you could turn back time, you would take Mahomes first overall if you're the Browns. Because the quarterback they drafted turned out to be Deshaun Kaiser. They didn't ace the quarterback in that draft. They got Deshaun Kaiser, who was there for a year, quarterback to a team that went 0-16, and they were back to square one drafting a quarterback again the next year. Now, like that draft, the Cleveland Browns passed on a quarterback in 2016 or 2017, went into the first round of the draft, needing a quarterback because he went 0-16. Your quarterback's on that Cleveland Browns team. Hold on. Let's see who the quarterbacks were in 2017 prior to them drafting Baker Mayfield. Were Kevin Hogan, Cody Kessler, and Deshaun Kaiser. So the only difference was no RG3 and no Josh McCown. Other than that, it was the same team. So now you're going into a, rock, a quarterback rebuild. And like that year, 2018, next year's draft is seen as a quote-unquote generational draft. You look at some of the guys that are top of the draft in 2018. Mahone, or, uh, Mayfield, Darnold, Rosen. Like, those were the top guys in the draft. Like, this is a transcendent draft. Josh Allen, Lamar. Next year, you got Drake May. You got Caleb Williams. You got some good quarterbacks next year's draft. And the Browns screwed it up because of the Browns. Could have got Josh Allen, you took Baker Mayfield. Again, hindsight's a bitch, but man, if they could go back to 2017, they would draft Patrick Mahomes. I can almost guarantee you that. Browns fans can be as loyal to Miles Garrett as they want. If they had Patrick Mahomes, I'm sure they'd be feeling a lot better about themselves than what they do right now. Because the Browns were supposed to be a good team like three years ago. And guess what? They still stink. So, Will Anderson might be the best player in the draft. Houston Texans might think Will Anderson is the greatest player of all time. You got to get your quarterback position right. And you can say they're different circumstances, and maybe they are, but you got to get your quarterback right. Because there are three quarterbacks that could go after Bryce Young first overall, and I can understand like Bryce Young more than everybody else. I like that. I like Bryce Young more than everybody else. But I can see the positives of a like of Stroud, of Richardson, of Levis, of Hooker, like... And maybe you draft Hendon Hooker. Maybe you trade back into the first round and draft Hendon Hooker. Maybe that's what happens. Maybe they go like, oh, we'll get Anderson, Smith, and Jigba, and then a Hooker in the second or late first round. Maybe that's what their plan is. And maybe that works out for them. Because I think Hendon Hooker would be a really good quarterback in the NFL. But it's scary. It is scary because it's the Texans. This is, again, an organization that has not historically been very good. This is not a very good team. It's not a very good, well-run organization. When they drafted David Carr with the first overall pick, guess what they did? They got him zero off the line. He got sacked 76 times. The same owners that own the team then own the team now. <laughs> so it's not, they, they, and they're not much better run in the front office than they were back then either. Why do you think Deshaun Watson wanted out? And maybe this is coming down to a thing of Deshaun, Kai, or, uh, Deshaun Watson and C.J. Stroud share an agent. Maybe that's where this is all coming from again. 
Remember, we talked about that. We made Montrap 1.0. We had CJ Stroud going to Houston. But we ended up saying that didn't really matter that much. Maybe it matters more. Maybe it matters more. Maybe that's the reason. So maybe Will Anderson does go first overall. But then you're opening the door to potentially, and Davis Mills could develop nicely. Davis Mills could be a very nice quarterback. But I could tell you now, C.J. Stroud is better now than Davis Mills is right now. So I, I would lean towards Will. I would lean towards C.J. Stroud if I'm the Texans. But if you want to, if you want to go with your defensive-minded head coach, that's fine. And if you think you can get Caleb Williams next year, that's fine too. I guess I don't think you can. But guess what? You could try it. You could try to. <laughs> but man. It's going to be a fun story to watch. It's going to be a very, very fun story to watch. It's going to be very stressful for a person like myself that overthinks freaking everything. Like, I, I'm ready for it. It's going to be fun. But I'm, my heart's going to be pounding 1,000 miles an hour before the draft. Like, 2019 draft, Cardinals, first overall. Like, looking back, it seemed pretty easy to do. But, man, at that time, it was stressful as hell to say, hey, Kyler Murray... They might go Nick Bosa, they might go Quinn and Williams, might trade back, they might do something. Oh my God, I don't know what they're going to do. And they drafted Kyler Murray. So maybe like that, maybe the tech, maybe the Cardinals should have drafted Nick Bosa. Maybe we'd be talking about a different story here. And maybe Kyler Murray's in Vegas. Who knows? Because the Raiders really liked Kyler Murray, apparently. Raiders were picking fourth. They had the Niners at two. You had the Jets at three. Maybe the Jets trade back. Because the Jets were thinking about trading back. I If... If the Cardinals didn't draft Kyler Murray. Because that would open the door for someone else to trade back. Because the Jets didn't really have a lot of picks in that draft. They drafted Quinn Williams and worked out for him. Kyler, for the most part, apart from being slightly annoying, has been a very good quarterback in the NFL. Or not slightly, he is annoying. But for the most part, it's worked out. I like Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray got paid a lot. And now he's not going to play this year. And the Cardinals should not draft a quarterback, so I don't... That, thankfully, has not started anything, but... The Cardinals need to trade back. And if the Texans do go for Willie Anderson, that opens the door, and they will get a lot of picks for that. Maybe get a player out of it. Who the hell knows? But I think they trade back, and they go after either Christian Gonzalez or Tyree Wilson. Two players that could definitely help them. They lost Byron Murphy this offseason. They need help in the secondary, even outside of Byron Murphy. But they getting a Christian Gonzalez, bigger corner, definitely help. Byron Murphy more of a predominantly a nickel corner, but hey, Get a corner on the outside. You're in a tough division. Would the Rams will be better next year? I refuse to believe the Rams will suck this much ass next year. Seahawks will get better. The car, the 49ers will still be good because their defense is still locked up. Who knows what their quarterback situation is going to be, but they're going to be a good team. And you look at Tyree Wilson, as we've talked about before, Tyree Wilson versus Will Anderson, I understand the comparisons and why people would rate Tyree Wilson higher. He's got more physical traits than Will Anderson does. And you look at the Arizona Cardinals defense, if they continue to run the 3-4 defense, which I don't know if they will, but Tyree Wilson can play on the D-line and on the outside linebacker. And after losing Zach Allen, after losing J.J. Watt, that opens the door for that. So if you're the Cardinals, you are looking at those two guys. And then Jalen Carter could be an option there. Will Anderson obviously could be an option there as well. But I think the top two guys the Cardinals look at are Christian Gonzalez and Tyree Wilson. In no particular order. After a trade back. And I think the Raiders are the perfect team to trade back with. Because that gets you at seven. And you are, that should guarantee you at least one of them. So, let's do hypothetical draft. So, you've got the Panthers picking one. They pick Young. 
Number two, the Texans takes Will Anderson. Three, the Colts trade up with the Cardinals to take C.J. Stroud. The Raiders trade up to four to take Richardson. You got the Seahawks at five, take Anderson. And then there. Okay, or no, the, the Seahawks take Carter. So Seahawks take Carter at five or whoever. Who do the – I had a draft filled out with that scenario. Now I've lost it. So Young goes one, Anderson two. Then we've got the Colts taking Stroud. And we got the Raiders taking Anderson. Or Anderson. Richardson. Yeah, then we got the Seahawks taking, like, we get to have taken Jalen Carter. Then we have the Lions. They like either Tyree Wilson or Christian Gonzalez. I've seen the Seahawks loosely rated, uh, uh, linked to some of the corners here. They take Tyree Wilson because apparently they love Tyree Wilson. Then you got the Cardinals at seven. Christian Gonzalez there. So you get Gonzalez or Wilson for, again, for the most part. Because I think the Lions, if they draft a corner, so let's say hypothetically the Seahawks draft Wilson and the Lions don't want Carter. Well, guess what? Lions can draft Devin Witherspoon. I think he'd fit more in Detroit than Gonzalez would. So you got Witherspoon six, Gonzalez seven. And yeah, either way, you get one of your guys at seven. I think seven's the perfect spot for the Cardinals to trade up to, or trade back to. So it's going to be really fun. It's going to be really, really fun to see where all those people go. And the draft's fun. The draft is insanely fun. It's insanely stressful because for me... Again, someone who overthinks everything. I want to be as right as possible. I want to be as accurate as I possibly can. I don't want to be insanely off on anything. I don't want to have a ridiculous pick that I look back on and go like, oh my God, why did I think that? And it'll happen instantly. When the pick is made, they'll instantly happen. And I'll go, oh my God, why did I say that? Sucks. I freaking hate it. But it happens sometimes. It happens sometimes. But then again, again, if the Cardinals, if the Texans pick C.J. Stroud, which is also, so it's between, realistically, it's between Stroud and Anderson is what it feels like. Given re- this, this whole thing has changed so much since the Combine. Like, there's so many different scenarios that have changed. Like, a day after we have made a show, things have changed like that. Like, it went from, oh, Stroud seems to be number one. Richardson could be number one. Oh, now they're zeroing in on Bryce Young. Oh, the Texans will take the top quarterback available. Oh, I guess they're going to take Anderson. Like, things change, like, so fast in the draft because there's so much shite getting spewed out of people's mouths. I have no idea what's true and what's not. But if the Texans take Stroud, Raiders straight up for Richardson, Colts take Levis, and then we got a whole other conversation happening. Then we go Anderson to the Seahawks. Then we have uh, Wilson to the Lions. Then we got Gonzalez to the Cardinals. Then we got Nolan Smith to the Falcons. We've got Jalen Carter to the Bears. We got, like, Skaronsky to the Eagles and Darnell Wright to the Titans. Smith and Jigba to reunite them. That's what I think would be the most fun thing to see. Because the NFL, as we've said, is a copycat league. Why would anybody not want to do what the Bengals did? They reunited Jalen, uh, Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. Even Jalen Waddle and Tua. Like, why would they not want to re- continue that again? De- Devontae Smith and Jalen Hurts. Why not try to reconvene? It's worked out well for those teams. So why not try to do it again? Copycat League. Get Stroud and Jack Smith and Jigba back together. They might not be as good as Anderson. Hell, I mean, Chris Smith or Chris Sims thinks he's the fifth best edge rusher in this draft class. You can get someone good later in the draft. This is a really deep edge rusher class. So I, it's not like they could get Will, like Will McDonald in the second round and be perfectly content with that. 
like Will McDonald, BJ O'Jolari, like that would fit their outside linebacker needs if that's the defense they end up running. And you also got like Keon White, who can play inside and outside. Adobaro can play inside and outside. Felix Anaduke Ozoma could play inside and outside. Mostly outside. But you got options. Andre Carter. Zach Harrison. Like, you've got Byron Young from Tennessee. You've got options at edge rusher. So I would, if I'm the Texans, here's what I'd do if I was the Texans. Stroud, Smith, and Jigba. This is with, like, Nolan Smith off the board and all that stuff. So you got those two recombining again in Houston. Then you get your edge rusher in the third. Or second, second round. And you could potentially look for an offensive lineman. And then you could look for a tight end or something along those lines. Like, they could build a decent team. This division's not that tough. I mean, freaking Josh Dobbs-led Titans were a game away from playing the playoffs. So, like, anything's possible. I think the Jaguars will be better again next year, obviously, because they were good this year. They came, caught heat late and became good, won a playoff game. Like, but I think the Texans could improve. I think getting that, combining those two again would be really fun to see. But it's fun. I always like seeing, like, on Twitter when you have these quarterbacks. Like, quarterback, again, is the most important position in football. It's also the most talked about position in football. Hell, a lot of this show is dedicated to specifically quarterbacks. We did a whole thing every week talking about the best quarterbacks in college football going to the draft. Every single week. And there's going to be people that are making comparisons to quarterbacks, so I'd like to see what they say. So, like, Cynthia Freeland on the NFL Network had Bryce Young, Tua plus Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, no, I think Bryce Young's more athletic than those two. Bryce Young's rushing numbers don't really show you that much. He's more athletic than those two. He's a better ad-libber than most two. Tua looks uncomfortable when he runs. He makes me uncomfortable when he runs. Teddy Bridgewater, since he tore his knee up, he makes me uncomfortable when he runs. Bryce Young can make plays on the run. He's got the ad-lib ability of Patrick Mahomes of the size of, like, Kyler. He's not... Patrick Mahomes, yet, I think he can be, or I don't want to say that. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have said that. I apologize. <laughs> Jeez, we done. No, stay, stay away. Stay away. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I think he has that ability to be special like that. I, I think Tua and Teddy's just shortchanging him a little bit. Because those two are limited. I don't think Bryce Young's that limited. Limited by size, maybe, but that's about it. And C.J. Stroud, Dak Prescott, and Jared Goff. I've said he compares to Joe Burrow just a little bit less cool in the pocket. Someone that can run but doesn't. Jared Goff, I don't think, is that bad of a comparison. Dak, Dak's bigger, like thicker than C.J. Stroud. C.J. Stroud's a thin dude. I'd say he's like a more mobile Jared Goff, if we're going to say he's comparing to Jared Goff. And there's no disrespect to C.J. Stroud. Jared Goff is the number one overall pick in the draft. So don't say, like, me saying Jared Goff compares to C.J. Stroud. That's a bad thing. Jared Goff is the number one overall pick in the draft. So that's fine. He's more mobile than, like, Jared Goff. Like, Derek Carr, same thing. Derek Carr can move. He doesn't move that often. But C.J. Stroud's kind of like that. C.J. Stroud looks flustered at times. That's the only thing that concerns me about him. Richardson, Carson Wentz, and Jalen Hurts. So just two Eagles guys. I don't know. I don't think, like, he's bigger than both of them. I think Carson Wentz, I, well, I think it compares a little bit more to Carson Wentz than Jalen Hurts because there are some times Carson Wentz tries to do too much, and that's where Josh Allen gets to, but Josh Allen's 10 times, 100 times better than Carson Wentz, so Josh could get away with it. Carson Wentz makes a bad situation worse like 99% of the time. But potential-wise, 
Again, this is a number two overall pick in the draft, a guy who was once considered an MVP candidate or was the MVP of the league before he tore his ACL. So I could see that. And Jay, like Jalen Hurts, I guess he did. Jalen Hurts, before he got to Oklahoma, he was not considered an NFL draft prospect. I don't know how many people remember that. He was not considered a top quarterback in college when he was at Alabama. Like He was going down the Tim Tebow route for a little bit. Like he could be a gimmick player in the NFL. He's not going to be an actual starter. And now we're talking about a guy who finished second in the MVP voting and then went to a Super Bowl against Patrick Mahomes and was the best player on the field in said Super Bowl. So I can understand that. Like, he's got room to develop. I think it's like like a Josh and Jalen type thing where they didn't come in. They came in rusty, where people came in and said, these guys need to sit for a year. Carson Wentz, people didn't say he needs to sit for a year. At least that's how I remember that. He got drafted with Sam Bradford there. They traded Sam Bradford to Minnesota. Because Minnesota panicked because Teddy Bridgewater destroyed his knee. So they traded for Sam Bradford, gave a first-round pick for Sam Bradford. And this ain't, like, post-draft Sam Bradford. No, this is, like, six years in the league Sam Bradford. We know what Sam Bradford is. (laughs) But, yeah, just raw is what I would say. Like, athletic, cannon arm. Like, he has a stronger arm than Jalen Hurts. Carson Wentz, that's where the arm comes in with, with Wentz. But erratic, I guess, is also where Wentz comes in. And then Will Levis, Sam Darnold plus Jay Cutler. I don't think that's actually that bad of a comparison, actually. I don't think that's that bad. He's got a body of Sam Darnold. He can run like Sam Darnold does. He's got a stronger arm than Sam Darnold. Jay Cutler has one of the strongest arms in the NFL. Jay Cutler has an absolute howitzer of an arm. And he's just so frustrating to watch because he's Jay Cutler. That's not bad. I've I've said Will Levis is kind of like Andrew Luck. Not necessarily the same prospect style or same prospect ceiling. Like, Andrew Luck was a can't-miss prospect. Will Levis is not a can't-miss prospect. Will Levis has had questionable moments at Kentucky. Will Andrew Luck was a Heisman finalist at Stanford. Like, they're, I'm not saying they're the same in that regard. I say they play similar. Bigger guys that could run, really strong arms. I think, well, Levis is cringier than Andrew Luck. but And then Hendon Hooker, Jacoby Brissett, plus Daniel Jones. Who would I compare Hendon Hooker to if I had to? So the first person, I, I think, like, he throws a similar deep ball to Tyrod Taylor. Tyrod Taylor throws a nice deep ball. People don't people sleep on Tyrod Taylor's deep ball. Watch some Buffalo Bills, Tyrod Taylor. That dude threw a really nice deep ball. For all his shortcomings, Tyrod Taylor could throw a deep ball. And he could move around really well. Hendon Hooker is bigger than Tyrod Taylor. Tyrod Taylor's not the biggest guy in the world. He's like 6'1", probably 205. Hooker's 6'4", 220. But they throw a very nice, like, it's a perfect spiral every single time. Some quarterbacks won't have that perfect spiral. It moves really well. Jacoby Brissett plus Daniel Jones. Like, I guess Daniel Jones can move. I think that's the comparison why Daniel Jones is involved there, because Jacoby Brissett can't really run that well. Daniel Jones can, and they're both bigger guys. He's got the body style of Daniel Jones more than Brissett. That's not bad. I don't think any of these are bad. I think the Bryce Young one's a little bit, like, shortcoming to Bryce Young. But I think the rest of them are fine. I think the rest of them are perfectly fine. I Dak Prescott, I don't really like that one for, for Stroud. I don't think that one makes a lot of sense. But Goff, I think that one's fair. I think that one's fair with him. But Tua and Teddy for Bryce, eh. Dak and Stroud or Dak, Dak and Goff. Goff works. Richson for Wentz and Hurts kind of work. They work. Levis and Darnold and Cutler, that works. That's the best one. Levis to Darnold and Cutler, that one's the best one. That one's the best one. 
Because, like, Jake Cutler is a cringy dude. And Will Levis is a cringy dude. Like, I I can't really put down if I think Will Levis is cool or not. (laughs) And so it said, uh, Will Levis equals Justin Herbert plus Andrew Luck. I've said Andrew Luck, but... Oh, there was something I saw on Twitter the other day. Speaking of uh, Justin Herbert. Oh, what was it? It was really funny. Oh, what is this? Colts currently have Will Levis ahead of Anthony Richardson in their QB rankings. Oh! Oh! Miller added that the current chatter is Indy isn't expected to trade up to get a QB, not even one spot. Okay, so forget what I said earlier. And more ready now, Will Levis will be the pick. Wow! So, Raiders trade up to three. That's why I I see, like, the Texans trading up to that spot. I see Titans trading up to that spot. Man, that's interesting. That just got tweeted, too. That's that's kind of fun. Wondell Robinson, there's nothing like his arm. Talking about Will Levis. That's fair. I, I think Will Levis can be a really good quarterback in the NFL. He's got all the traits to be a really good quarterback in the NFL. He's just cringe. Oh, there it is. I found it. I've never seen a prospect more doubted than Will Levis. MF, allow me to introduce you to, and it's Justin Herbert. What? I, I say that like Justin Herbert wasn't doubted coming to the NFL, because he definitely was. But the most doubted... There's a guy named Josh Allen. There's a guy named Lamar Jackson who almost fell out of the first round. Justin Herbert was drafted before both of them. Josh Allen was called a bust before. Daniel Jones is more doubted than Justin Herbert. Now, Justin Herbert's a lot better than Daniel Jones. But Daniel Jones, Josh Allen were considered busts before they even played in the NFL. So I understand Herbert was doubted. I understand that. He definitely was. I'm not sitting here and saying that he wasn't and that he wasn't criticized a lot. But it's a Chargers fan. He wasn't the most doubted. And has anybody really... Like, you have to be able to understand where people are coming from with Will Levis. Again, this is coming from someone that likes Will Levis themselves. But I can understand why people do not like Will Levis. Crazy thing that he's still doubted. Who doubts Justin Herbert? If anything, you could argue Justin Herbert's overrated at this point. Like, compared to the other quarterbacks in the NFL... Unlike Herbert, Levis is a bust. What? Okay, like that. Why? Why is? Why do people tweet that? Why do people tweet that? What else? I liked Herbert. So did I. Cool. That's super cool. Especially since you have Justin Herbert in your freaking profile. That's really cool. What has he done? Yeah. I mean, most rookie year. Yeah. I like Justin Herbert. I like Justin Herbert, and I think he's a top six quarterback in the NFL. But. When people start putting him in the top five, it's when I have, like, now, I have a little bit concerned. Well, what is the top five quarterbacks in the NFL right now? Let's say this before we get too dug into a rabbit hole. Would you say Lawrence is better than Herbert? Justin Is Trevor Lawrence better than Justin Herbert? That's the question I'm really going to sit here and ask myself. Because I think the top four is Mahomes, Allen, Burrow, Hurts. And then you're having the conversation of Herbert versus Lawrence. So I don't know who's doubting him because I think he's pretty much unanimously top six. But like Colin Coward putting him, I think, at third, I think that's a little, that's where we get the overrated. I don't know who's doubting Justin Herbert. I would love to meet, I would love to shake the hand of somebody that's, you know, doubting Justin Herbert to this point. Yeah, unlike Levis, Herbert was good in college. Herbert was really good in college. He won a freaking Rose Bowl with Oregon. He was good in college. 
I advocated for Herbert to go number one, and I'm an Oregon fan. But I'm an Oregon fan. I was hundred thousand percent biased. Yeah, good because there was no. I remember Richard Sherman came out after the draft and said, or after the rookie year when Joe Burrow tore his ACL and Herbert won Rookie of the Year. <laughs> Richard Sherman was like, "There's no way this guy should be number one overall pick." Yeah, because the guy who got drafted number one just didn't break every single college passing record and win a national championship game. But yeah, the guy from Oregon, he should be. Yeah, there. I was a hundred percent on Herbert going first overall. No, you weren't. Shut up. No one said that. No one in their right mind said Herbert's going number one overall. Like, Burrow is a top three quarterback in the NFL. Like, there's not even a competition with that. The top three quarterbacks in the league are Mahomes, Allen, Burrow. You talk, like, no one was saying that. If you said Burrow or Herbert should have been number one overall, you're lying to yourself and you just said that after the rookie year because Burrow got hurt. That's the only reason you're saying that. And so it said people were doubting Herbert. They were. They were. As someone that follows the draft, they were. This guy said Allen. Yeah, Allen was down way more than Justin Herbert was. I believed in Herbert since the start. Levis, I'm not so sure about. He was always QB1 in my books. The people that try to lie about their pre-draft thoughts on Herbert always <laughs> yeah, there we go. There we go. Have always irked me. Yeah, because people try to go, hey, he's the number one overall pick. No, you did not think that, you freaking liar. I was not on, my, on any social media platform, but I called Burrow mid, Herbert great, and Tua br- a bust, honestly. I'm proud of where I got. Okay, why tweet that? I was not on my social media platform, but why did you tweet that? You could have left that holstered. Because Tua's not a bust. <laughs> so, <laughs> you're... And Herbert's uh, Herbert's great. I like Herbert. And Burrow's definitely not mid. Tua's mid. Burrow's great. Herbert's good. Bur- Tua's mid. None of them are busts. None of them are bust. But why tweet that? That literally has not. He was literally consistent number one overall pick before he went back to Oregon. That that is true. That is true. He was in 2019. People do forget about this. He was widely considered to be the best quarterback in college football, and they went back to Oregon. They do. I did forget about that. He was going to be the number one overall pick, and then he went back to Oregon. Now, obviously, that would have changed because of the fact Kyler Murray went first overall because Cliff Kingsbury was there. But that that was. You know what? That's fair. I thought he was Zach Wilson. I don't know what that's supposed to mean. I miss Herbert at Oregon. We used to we used him wrong. Doubted our QB. Still doubting my boy. I don't know who's doubting him. This is true. LMAO people hype prospects up to follow up and shit the bed. QB is the highest per- of, of one of the highest percentage of busts in the first round. Levis will be one of those. Why? Why do people post it on Twitter? Why, why do people post it on Twitter? I, I, I never understand why people go, this guy will be a bust. Like, why? why? Lamar was more doubted to be on. Yeah, Lamar was more doubted than <laughs> Lamar was a, the 32nd pick in the draft. Yeah, I, yeah, the Giants, that was one. The Giants were high on him in that 2019 draft. That is true. The Broncos were insanely high on him, too. The Broncos were very high on him. Like, that was going to be the Broncos' guy was Justin Herbert. They had the 10th overall picks. They traded back with the Steelers, who took Devin Bush. And they ended up taking Drew Locke in the second round. Think, look how things would have been different. The, the Broncos would have definitely... So, think about this. We're talking about hindsight. So, Kyler Murray goes first overall to the Cardinals. Second overall, Nick Bosa. The Jets, at that draft, were talking about trading back. They had no picks. It was I think it was Joe Douglas' first year as a, a GM. They had no picks. And they might have had four picks. Like, they had very little. So, them trading back to 10 
Broncos trade up to three to draft Justin Herbert. Dude. What kind of simulation would this be right now? What situation would we be seeing right now around the NFL? Herbert in Denver. Where Who would be the Chargers quarterback? Would Jordan Love be in, char- in L.A.? I don't know. It'd be fun to see. It'd be fun to see. Would the Chargers be picking one of these? Would, Jar- would Sam Darnold? Well, I guess there's uh, whatever. It was 20. No, I'm, I'm going all over the place now. <laughs> I, went back, I was like, oh, would Sam Darnold be there after they didn't draft Justin Herbert two years later? <laughs> if they didn't draft Justin Herbert two years later. But yeah, I saw that the other day. That's not uh, That's not true. Justin Herbert was doubted. He's not the most doubted quarterback ever. Like Josh Lamar, the Daniel Jones was more doubted than like no one thought Dan- when Daniel Jones got drafted 6 overall, how many people thought he'd be a 4 years 160 million dollar quarterback? That's doubting. And Daniel Jones is not worth that. I'm not sitting here and advocating that Daniel Jones is worth that, but that's doubted. That's really doubted. I remember seeing Max Kellerman on ESPN losing his shit. Because Daniel Jones was drafted six overall. And then he just won a playoff game this year. So, I'm not saying he's the greatest, but he's not a top ten either. But, he was doubted. He was doubted pretty heavily. Who else? I don't know. Those are the big ones that I could think of. But Herbert, I will I will say Herbert was doubted. But I think that's funny when people post stuff like that. And then go in the comment section and go like, I didn't have social media, but I said Herbert was ass. Like, why tweet this? Keep that, keep that to yourself. You didn't have social media. Good for you. Congratulations. You didn't think Herbert was, you thought Herbert was going to suck, and he didn't. So guess what? Good job. Why post that? I thought Herbert was going to be, or Burrow was going to be mid. Cool. Why post that? You didn't have social media. Didn't need to post it. No one would have known, except for your friends, if you have any, or your family members, if you have any. Like, keep that shit to yourself. (laughs) If it's that bad, like the Bleacher Report article that said, we're all going to be looking for the next EJ Manual. That should have kept to themselves. You should have kept that shit to yourself. Do not post that anywhere. Because that was a shocking pick at that time, let alone now. And then when you look back and see articles from that time, like the Bills were going to take Ryan Nassib. Like the Bills were not acing that draft whatever way possible. Because they just signed Doug Marone from Syracuse and Ryan Nassib was going to be the coach or quarterback. And then EJ Manuel got drafted 16th overall. Only quarterback draft in the first round. I just rewatched that draft the other day. Like, EJ Manuel be the first quarterback taken in the draft. My dad loved EJ Manuel. Thought, I always had faith in him, but yeah, it's funny how things work out. But do I want to hold off on this? No, we'll talk about prospect rankings. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to breeze through this real quick. I got some prospect rankings here for you because we're two weeks, again, we're two weeks away from the draft. So I thought it would be fun to just go over some prospect rankings, go over the top Five. Well, we have top 15, but we'll go over the top five from each position. And you can go to the article yourself and find out on there. So top for quarterbacks, we got each position. We didn't go like like on ESPN. You'll find like outside linebacker rankings, defensive end rankings, center rank. Like this is just edge rusher, interior line, like things like that. We're not going like individual three, four outside linebacker, four, three D end, three tech. Rankings. Like, I'm not doing. I'm not going that insane. Free safety rankings, strong safety rankings. I'm not doing that. I'm just going quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end. You know, get the drift. So quarterback. This is something we've. T- we'll go over every single quarterback in this one because this is a position we talked about a lot this year. We did this weekly. Every single week we talked. Well, that's what weekly means. Every single week we did this. So I feel like we've got the biggest grasp on this so far, and it's changed a little bit since then. 
But uh, for the most part, it's relatively similar. Like in the last post we had back then, there are quarterbacks in that list that are not in the draft. And that's like Bo Nix, uh, Michael Penix, and Cameron Ward. They're not in the draft. So those three are gone, so we have new people coming in. But the top five has been the same for a while. Uh, Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, Anthony Richardson, Will Levis, Hendon Hooker. Pretty self-explanatory, I guess. There's not really a lot to say there. I've had that since that the last blog post we had in regards to the quarterback weekly quarterback draft prospect rankings on December second. We've had that top five. Rarely, I've not changed. I've rarely changed that top five. There might have been times where I might have been swayed to do something else, like have Hooker go up a little bit higher. But that's been my top five throughout for a while now. Now we go through six through ten. Uh, Jared Hall at six. Like Jaron Hall in our last prospect rankings, he was number he was number seven. Bo Nix was number six. But Jaron Hall, I really like Jaron Hall. Jaron Hall is a mature individual. Jaron Hall is married already. And Jaron Hall, like Hendon Hooker, is one of the older quarterbacks in this draft class. He is one of the older ones. He's already 25. He's as old as me. I'm a few months older than him, but he just turned 25 back in March. About a month, like a little under a month a month ago. This dude's good. This dude's good. He's not very big. He's only six foot one, two hundred five, but he's got a really live arm, quick release, and he can move really well. Some of the things you look forward to or look for in a quarterback. And there were some moments last year where he kind of like didn't play as well as what he could have done. Like there were some games that were insanely frustrating for Utah last year. I gotta go up to their schedule because I don't remember exactly what their schedule was. But there were some games that they were big favorites and should have won. And then like Liberty, Liberty game was insanely frustrating. Because that was a game they were up 14-3. At the end of the first quarter, lost the game 41-14. Like, that was an insanely frustrating game. And then you got the game against Arkansas. A game they were in, ended up getting blown out. The game against Oregon, similar thing. Game they were in, got blown out. The Notre Dame game, didn't play particularly well. Only threw, only had nine completions in that game. The game against Stanford, he had really good running, running statistics. Passing, he had less than 100 yards. And only seven completions in that game. East Carolina, another game. BYU should have won at home, at night, on a Friday. Like, that's a thing. In Provo, Utah, that's one of the toughest places to play in college football. Against East Carolina, who was not a great team. They were fine, but a team like BYU, though they had the worst record, BYU at home with the talent that they have, like Puka Nakua at wide receiver, Jaron Hall at quarterback. Like, this is a game they should win. And Puka Nakua at 79 yards receiving, also, 22 yards rushing and a touchdown in the game as well. But they lost the game on a field goal. Like, there were some frustrating games for BYU last year, but overall, I think Jaron Hall's done really well this offseason in the workouts. Showed off his arm at his pro day. Like I think Jaron Hall could be a nice early third-round selection. I think he'd be a third-round selection. If I had to make a prediction, Jaron Hall for the third round. Maybe late second round. Maybe late second round. I think he'd be a good quarterback in the NFL. I think he'd be a really good quarterback in the NFL. Uh, number seven, we have Dorian Thompson Robinson. I've liked Dorian Thompson Robinson for a while. He's been on brought. He's been on a blog post in the past. The thing I like about Dorian Thompson Robinson, which is a rare thing to find in college football nowadays, and I, this is a product of the system. This isn't something that like a lot of people hate the transfer portal. A lot of people hate like football purists hate the transfer portal. But as I've always said about the transfer portal, don't hate the player, hate the game. If you get offered $3 million to go play for USC and you're stuck at Pittsburgh for the Jordan Addison situation, they're going to unretire Carson Palmer's number and give it to you 
to play for a kid that's going to be the favorite or one of the favorites to win the Heisman Trophy for Lincoln Riley, then yeah, you're stupid if you don't take it. You're stupid. Like, I understand there's loyalty to certain things, but come on. That's life-changing stuff right there. And Jordan Addison's going to get money in the NFL as well. He's going to be a, should be a first-round draft pick. He didn't test particularly well, so he may fall to the second round, early second round. He won't be on the board for very long into day two if he goes day two. He'd be gone by the first pick in day two. He'd go to the Steelers on the 32nd pick. Then he'd be that, – that's if he falls to day two. But with all these different players switching colleges and doing all this different stuff, like, oh, my God, I'm not a starter, so I'm going to leave and go try to start somewhere else. Oh, turns out I'm not a starter here, so I'm going to transfer again. Like, the whole – JT Daniels went from USC to Georgia to West Virginia. Now he's at Rice. Like that kind of situation. You can understand why you want to do it. But the thing with Dorian Thompson Robinson that I really appreciate is that he stayed at UCLA's entire time. And he played with some bad, on some bad UCLA teams. And his play never dropped. He's always been a very consistent football player. You look at his numbers. They were always gradual increases with his numbers. Like Dorian Thompson Robinson, his time at UCLA if this ESPN app would, or not app, but the ESPN website would work. Like, seven touchdowns his first year, then 21. Then we had the COVID year where the Pac-12 was really weird about the COVID stuff. They had 12 touchdowns. And then 21 touchdowns, and then 27 his last year at UCLA. So apart from the year where he barely played, he had only 90 completions that year. Only 138 pass attempts. Which every other year, or two years out of his five years at UCLA, he had over 300 attempts. Over 360 attempts, sorry. He had 283 his, sec- his junior year. But every year, his passing touchdowns went up. His yards went up. He just threw for 3,000 yards for the first time in his career this past season. Had a career-high 69.6% completion percentage. You look at his rushing numbers. His yards per carry went up from the season before. He had a career-high in rushing touchdowns as well. And this is a UCLA team that, again, was not good when he was there. That was not good with the, when he was there. Dylan Gabriel was transferred from UCF to UCLA. He went to Oklahoma because Dorian Ro- Thompson Robinson said he was coming back. Because there were some inklings about him going to the NFL. And I'm glad he stayed. I'm glad he stayed. Because this was a really good UCLA team. He had a lot of success this year. And like again, the game against Utah was awesome. The game against Washington was awesome. The game against Oregon, they came up short, but they played well. Played well. The game against Arizona was frustrating. The game against USC was awesome. Like, they had a lot of really fun games this year. They were a highly ranked team. And you could see UCLA starting to turn the corner a little bit. And a lot of that goes down to Dorian Thompson-Robinson. And like Jaron Hall, he's not the biggest guy in the world. 6'1", 205. But he can run really well. He's a better athlete than Jaron Hall. Not by a whole lot. Jaron Hall can move. Jaron Hall's rushing numbers won't really show up as, like, Dorian Thompson-Robinson's rushing numbers. But this dude, I just love, I really like Dorian Thompson-Robinson. I love the fact that he stuck around the entire time at UCLA through the good and the bad times. So his first year at UCLA, 2018, they went 3-9. and 3-9 and nine his first year at UCLA. He started eight games his first year at UCLA. This past year, they went 9-4. and four. And at one point in the season, i got to find the exact rankings, at one point in the season, they were ranked ninth in the country. He went from 3-9 and nine to the ninth-ranked team in the country. And that, that season when he had, they had the COVID season for the Pac-12, he played five games. And still managed to get over 1,000 yards, 12 touchdowns, only four picks. And at the combine, Dorian Thompson Robinson, I guess, came in at six foot two. Not see, he's listed at six one on ESPN. And he has a really live arm. I think I think he's a former baseball player. I believe he's a former baseball player. He threw the hardest at the combine. He had a sixty two mile an hour throw at the combine, where the test and speed of the throws. 
So yeah, I would. I really like Dorian Thompson. I could flip around DTR and Jaron Hall however you want. I think they're around this. I think they get picked around the same time. I think they have similar ceiling. Like I really like both of them. I think they can both be really good quarterbacks. Uh, number number eight is uh, Tanner McKee. Tanner McKee is the exact opposite of not well to some aspects of Jaron Hall and Tanner and uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson. Tanner McKee is not athletic, almost to the point of insulting low levels of athleticism. <laughs> like, he is not a great athlete, but what he makes up for, he is a pinpoint passer. He can pick you apart if given time, which is the problem at Stanford. So this past season at Stanford, there were times where Stanford could keep up with a lot of teams. Like there were points where their offense would be clicking. Like they had a good rushing attack. They got a few running backs injured throughout the season. They had good, decent receivers, somewhat inconsistencies at the receiver position at times but a crappy old line and a terrible-ass defense and an archaic offense. There were a point, like, Tanner McKee's reads from play action were so slow because that's how the offense was established. That's how it was run. And it worked well in the past, but Stanford's usually had a semi-mobile quarterback. Tanner McKee's not. But, again, he's got an insanely strong arm, and he's accurate. His, his numbers don't necessarily show a guy that is really good, or a good quarterback, but I promise you, this guy is good. He's got the things you're looking for. He's six foot six. Like the dude's a freaking monster. Six six two thirty. Had thirteen touchdowns, eight interceptions this past season. Twenty nine hundred yards. Like he's a good quarterback. He just played for a very bad team. And a lot of things that teams look for in the draft is how you work with no help. And Michael Wilson's going to get drafted early. Michael Wilson had a very good offseason. Michael Wilson was really good at the Senior Bowl. He had a really good offseason workout session. He'll get drafted a lot sooner than what he would have without that, which is how a lot of players are. Which I mean, That's no slight to Michael Wilson at all. But Tanner McKee, I think, could be a really good quarterback in the NFL. He's got a similar-ish profile to that of Justin Herbert. He's not as mobile as Justin Herbert, because Herbert can move. Tanner McKee cannot. Again, insulting low, insultingly low levels of athleticism here. <laughs> but quick release, good arm, size. Again, six foot six, two thirty. He could be a he could be a good quarterback in the NFL. He could be a really good quarterback in the NFL. Uh, number nine and ten, we got some. I, I guess Houston's a Big Twelve team now, but we got Jake Hayner and Clayton Toon rounding out the top ten. I like Jake Hayner. There was some skepticism about Jake Hayner coming back to Fresno State last year. I remember there were some riot, like close to riots happening with Jake Hayner almost leaving Fresno State. And his numbers went down from a season before. Like Jake Hayner, and he didn't play as many games this year. He didn't play as many games, but his numbers the season before, his second year at Fresno State, because he's originally from Washington, 33 touchdowns, 4,000 yards, 67% completion percentage. His completion percentage went up. His passing touchdowns went down, but because he didn't play as many games, had way he had a freaking a hundred and what hundred and forty less attempts. So his numbers went down through that, but he only had three interceptions, which is a career low if you're discounting his season at Washington, his low season at Washington, where he had nine passing attempts or thirteen pass attempts, nine completions, with one interception. If you want to count that, fine. But when he was actually a starter, that's his career low. So he had five interceptions his first year at Fresno State, then nine, and then now he's at three. He's got a very quick release. The problem is he's not very, like, like Hall and Thompson Robinson, he's not very big. He's only 6'1", 200. He's not as mobile as those two, though. Like, at all. Not a, He's nowhere near as mobile. He didn't have the same level of, what do you want to call it, help this year 
as they did the season before, but Fresno State will always have a consistent football team. They're always going to be somewhat good, to a certain extent. They won the conference title this year. They beat Washington State in a bowl game. And Jake Hayner, two touchdowns in that game against Washington State. 280 yards. He had 361 against Nevada, who is a shit-ass team. But hey, put up good numbers. Put up good numbers against UNLV as well. Both games on the road. Both games over 300 yards. Had five touchdowns, no picks throws two games. Quick release. Again, quick release is key. When you're not very big, you got to have a quick release of good arm. He's got a very good arm for not being that big. And he, I don't, th- I don't know what he, what was he listed at the combine? Because there's no way I, watching him, he feels smaller than DTR and Jaron Hall. I refuse to believe they're the same height. He has to be like five eleven or five ten. He's listed at six foot at the combine. I, I don't know how much I believe that. I don't think they're the same. They, Jake Hayner looks small. He, he feels small. He didn't like the Senior Bowl. I don't think he played the greatest. I don't think any of the quarterbacks really played that great in the Senior Bowl though. But uh, the final one, number ten, Clayton Toon. Clayton Toon put up really good numbers at my at uh, at Houston. Him and Tank Dell, who we'll talk about in a little bit, the receiver from Houston, put up some nice, nice numbers. They had a cover behind win against Louisiana in the bowl game. But I believe Tank Dell scoring the winning touchdown. May not be a cover behind, but had a really good game against a uh, close game against Louisiana. They scored a late touchdown there. But he put up really good numbers. 40 touchdowns this year, 10 interceptions, 4,000 yards passing, 67% completion percentage. And I understand the AAC is not the toughest conference in the world. I understand that. But in a game against SMU, this is like the Louisville versus Iowa game in the, the women's tournament. Like Iowa scored ninety four or ninety seven points, and won by fourteen. That's ridiculous. Like against SMU, Houston scored sixty three points. They didn't score over sixty three points any other time throughout the season, and yet in this game they lost by fourteen. SMU just happened to score seventy seven, and in that game Clayton Tune had five hundred twenty seven yards, seven touchdowns, which is ridiculous. He had five touchdowns against Navy, with. 23 less attempts, <laughs> less yards, but five touchdowns, no picks. He also had three interceptions a game against SMU, which is not great, but yeah, bigger guy as well, six foot three, two twenty, a lot bigger than Jake Hayner. I, I, I don't know. Like, is Houston a small school? I don't really know if you can call them a small school because they've won championships. In, I guess Villanova's won championships in basketball, and they're a small school. But I don't know. They're a Big Twelve school now. Are are they now? Are they technically Big Twelve now? I gotta see their schedule for this upcoming season. Are they in the Big 12? They are in the Big 12 now. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. See how they replace Tank... Uh, we'll see how they replace Tune and Dell because those are two massive losses. Like, Tank Dell, this past season... Again, I said we'll talk about him later, but 1,400 yards, essentially, with 17 touchdowns. That's a lot of production to replace. That is a lot of production to replace. Clayton Tune also led Houston in rushing yards as well. 546 rushing yards with a lot more attempts than everybody else. Next closest attempts had 90. But a lot of this, again, their offense predicate or leans towards that. Which can also, it can hurt some prospects. Can hurt. Not like destroy a prospect, but it can hurt to a certain extent. So that's my top 10 for quarterbacks. So again, Young, Stroud, Richardson, Levis, Hooker. Jaron Hall, DTR, Tanner McKee, Jake Hayner, Clayton Toon. Who you could rotate Toon and Hayner. I don't really care. And then the 11 through 15 is Aiden O'Connell from Purdue. Stetson Bennett, Malik Cunningham, Max Duggan, and Tyson Bajant from Shepard. I want to like Tyson Bajan a lot. Like I like to kill glass. Was it last year? Two years ago from Alabama A&M. And there was a uh, crap. Who was the dude from? Oh crap. What was school? Is he from Southeastern? What was his name? He's like six foot seven. What was his freaking name? 
I got to try and figure out who this guy was because I'm completely blanking. Hold on. Was it last year or was it two years ago? Because I remember there was this massive quarterback. Wasn't EJ Perry. Cole Kelly. I wanted to like <laughs> Cole Kelly, but it's just like Chris Alotica. You want to like these smaller, like never heard of these schools quarterbacks, but I don't know. You got to go with the other guys on this one. I, Tyson Bajan could turn out to be a really good quarterback, but his dad's the arm wrestling world champion, like a 25,000 time world wrestling arm champion. I don't know. But uh, running backs, uh, top two was pretty self-explanatory. It's Bijan Robinson, Jameer Gibbs. Jameer Gibbs, I mean, there's a lot, we've said a lot about Bijan Robinson. No need to really go on that train anymore. But Jameer Gibbs, similar to his skill style to Alvin Kamara, smaller, smaller running back, but very similar to that of Alvin Kamara. Pass catching back, better receiver out of the backfield than being a your more traditional running back. You see that Alabama this past year is definitely Bryce Young's most competent, or at least most, the safest target he had, which is what you need in today's NFL. It's what you need. Like Alvin Kamara, Christian McCaffrey. Christian McCaffrey and Alvin Kamara are also really good, like, normal running backs, but you need to be able to catch the ball to the backfield, and that's what Jameer Gibbs does. Zach Charbonnet, he is more of your traditional running back. He is your traditional guy. But him and DTR, they were a really awesome backfield to watch in UCLA. I loved watching them at UCLA. Like, DTR, uh, sorry, Charbonnet, back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons since transferring from Michigan, had back-to-back seasons of over 10 touchdowns, had a decent amount of receiving yards last year at 321, but better running, like traditional running back than, say, Jameer Gibbs. And he's bigger. He's six foot one, 220 pounds. Then we've got uh, Devin Ashene. I don't know if I said his name right. I apologize for that. Fast. Super fast. Uh, what did he run at the combine? Like a four? T- did he get over the four three mark? I can't remember. Hold on. I know he had a fast time. Because I know he's insanely fast. He had a... Okay, he got a 4-3-2 at the combine for a 40-yard dash. Again, shorter running back. Not the biggest back in the world. Again, only five foot nine, Similar to that of Jameer Gibbs. And he's only had really... I mean, 900 yards is fine, but he's never really had that much production. He's never really been that big of a threat on the outside. But his speed... Speed kills, man. Speed kills. And when he gets in the open field, he is freaking gone. He is gone. So if that speed translates and he can become a little bit more consistent back out of the receiving game, that'd be big. Now, another not very big running back who has had a very good offseason. And I say not very big. He's bigger than Devin Ashenay, but he's, again, not very, not insanely big. And that's Tyje Spears. I like Tyje Spears a lot. He's 5'10", 195, had 1,500 yards for a very, very, very good Tulane team. And not only that. 19 touchdowns this year. And also put up decent numbers in the receiving game. at 256 yards receiving. Shifty back. Shifty pass catching back. Can put up really good numbers in the run game as well. I like Ty J Spears a lot. And then finally rounding out the top. I guess that was the top five. But we'll go to the rest of the top 15. Speed it up though. Because again, my throat's starting to hurt. We've been doing this for almost two hours now. Uh, Roshan Johnson from Texas. We talked about him before. If he was with any other school, he'd be talked about a lot higher. It's just the fact he sits behind Bijan Robinson. Uh, Dwayne McBride from UAB. Tank Bigsby. He's had a very good offseason so far. Had a really good pro day. We had Chase Brown and Sean Tucker. Then, uh, sorry, Israel Abenconda from Pittsburgh. Kendra Miller from TCU. Deuce Vaughn from Kansas State. Very small back, five foot six. Smaller back, Deuce Vaughn. Zach Evans from Ole Miss. Remember that guy last year said he was better than Danny Tomlinson and TCU. And then Kenny McIntosh from Georgia. But there's a lot of good running backs that we didn't even mention here. Like, there's a good group. Like, 
like again, you've got like Muhammad Ibrahim here. Chris Rodriguez is mentioned here that we didn't that we didn't have time to get in here. Eric Gray. Uh, who else am I missing here? Evan Hole from Northwestern. That's who I was looking for. Tavion Thomas is a good running back. Like there's some ta- Travis Dye from UCLA. Like there's some really solid running backs in this draft class. I'm that you could get some decent options later in the round, which is how the NFL is going round round nowadays in regards to the running back position. Like going later and getting a guy, and there's guys you can get that with in this draft. Next up for you, we got the I don't know wide receiver always feels super deep. It's not. Now, again, this is not a class that's going to have a super high-value target like we've had in the past. It's not as deep as previous years, but it's still a solid enough class. It's not as flashy. It might not be as deep, but it is a good class. And my top five reads as follows. Jackson Smith and Jigba at number one. The concern is the hamstring. The thing is, the hamstring issue is big because that's something that can keep happening over and over again. That's not something that you heal from him and it's done. Like, that can be kind of scary. That could be an injury that can keep reoccurring over and over again. But again, his peak is better than everybody else's peak. And his route running ability is arguably the best in this class. We'll see how he does as an outside receiver. I'm sure he'll switch over to the outside at some points throughout his career in the NFL, especially early. He'll be a fa- he'll be the number one receiver the first time he's actually been a true number one receiver. So we'll see how he does there. Number two, Zay Flowers. Tough dude. Tough dude. I could put Zay Flowers at number one and not feel really bad about it. I think you really call it 1A, 1B with Zay Flowers and Jackson Smith and Jigba. Jackson Smith and Jigba is at Ohio State, played with C.J. Stroud, had Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson taking some of the pressure off them. Zay Flowers didn't have that at Boston College. He had Phil Yurkovic and a, a smorgasbord of other quarterbacks and still managed to put up really, really, really good numbers. Breaks a lot of tackles. Not the biggest guy in the world, but has put on a lot of muscle this offseason. Has interviewed extremely well. Has had a good offseason in general. Yeah, he could go. He could be one of the guys that goes a lot sooner than expected. Like I've had him going to the Patriots before. That feels like it could definitely happen. Him going to the Patriots is something that you shouldn't sleep on. I think it's definitely a possibility. Number three is Jordan Addison, as we've talked about before. Baller. He didn't. He hasn't tested the best. He's not really the the most physically imposing guy. Like for comparing him to Zay Flowers, Zay Flowers is pretty thick. Zay Flowers is muscular. Jordan Addison is not. Jordan Addison can fly by you though. He didn't. Te- this is the problem though with combine and testing in general. His forty time does not show off how actually fast he is, which is the problem. Because he didn't. He didn't run a forty. That's like, oh my god. He ran a forty at the combine. That a lot of people were like, oh, that was it. A lot of people out there were not necessarily thrilled. And people are talking about him possibly falling out of the first round. This is a guy that won the Bliknikov Award with Pittsburgh. He had 1,500 yards receiving his last year at Pitt. He had nowhere near the same amount of yards as past year under with USC. He had about 700 yards. Like he didn't have what was the exact yardage at USC? I gotta pre- get this exactly right. Last year at US, okay, 875. I was off a little bit, but 875 going down from eight or going down for 1,500. That's a little bit of a downfall. 17 touchdowns to eight. That's a little bit of a you don't want to you want to go up a little bit. Now he didn't play every game this year. He missed some time, but the dude's still really, really good. This dude's really good. He's similar-ish body style to that of, like, Stephon Diggs. He battles really well in the air. Like, he's, again, he's not the biggest, most physically imposing guy, but he battles. And that's what you look for in a receiver. Uh, Number four and five, I've rotated these about 100 times. That's Jalen Hyatt and uh, Quentin Johnston. Quentin Johnston, I like Quentin Johnston. It's just a thing of his size is not 
utilized as much as it should be, if that makes sense. Like, his jump ball percentage is not great for being a guy that is really, compared to the other top five, phys- really physically imposing. He And he didn't come in as big as what people thought he was either. Like, I think he was listed at 6'4". I think he came in just over 6'2". At the combine. So that kind of concerns people. But I, th- I think he's, his ceiling is still pretty high. Because I think that size and speed does translate. You see the game against, I think it was it was Michigan or Georgia. Where he caught a little screen pass and took it all the way to the house. For like 70 yards out. He's got the speed. But for a guy that size, I feel like he should be utilizing it against smaller corners. And smaller defenders a little bit more than he does. In regards to Jalen Hyatt. Jalen Hyatt is not very big. Like physically, he's... Probably the least physically imposing out of the top five receivers in this draft. Like, Jalen Hyatt may not be that big. He can't really run block that well because, again, he's not very big. You see him try to crack block at Tennessee. It didn't really work out that well. But what he does better than any other receiver in this draft is fly. This dude is burners for days. He takes one shift and he is gone. Look at his game against Alabama. Against Alabama. I don't care if they were at home. When Alabama comes to town, there's a different feel. And Jalen Hyatt came to frickin' play. And him and Hendon Hooker had a hookup for the frickin' ages on Alabama's face. And beat the Crimson Tide. They dominated them in that game. Not dominated them. Jalen Hyatt did. Jalen Hyatt did. Scoreboard, they didn't dominate them. But Jalen Hyatt, five touchdowns in that game? Like, the dude is a deep threat of all deep threats. He works predominantly in the slot. And him and Cedric Tillman, like Cedric Tillman was the guy going into the season. And then Jalen Hyatt took that over. And Cedric Tillman will fall, well, is not getting as talked about as what he probably should because he's still a very, very good receiver. But Jalen Hyatt was just awesome this past year. So I have Jalen Hyatt just slightly above Quentin Johnston for now. But uh, the rest of the top 15 reach Josh Downs from North Carolina, Tank Dell, as we talked about before from Houston, Michael Wilson from Stanford, Tyler Scott from Cincinnati, Burner. Jane Reed from Michigan State, Rashi Rice from SMU, Marvin Mims from Oklahoma, Cedric Tillman, we just brought up from Tennessee, A.T. Perry from Wake Forest, and Kayshawn Booty from LSU, Xavier Hutchinson, honorable mention there as well. Again, not the the most star-studded, but it's a good class. It's a solid enough class. Uh, Tight ends, we got Dalton Kincaid, number one. We've talked about him a lot. Dalton Kincaid is the best receiving tight end in this draft. Like, Dalton Kincaid can stretch the field from the tight end position. Don Kincaid is insanely fun to watch. He breaks tackles in the open field. He may not be the most, quote-unquote, polished blocker at this point in time. Like, if you're comparing him to Michael Meyer, Michael Meyer is a more, probably more well-rounded tight end. But I think if you look at what what Dalton Kincaid does best, that overpowers things that, like, I'm trying to figure out how I want to explain this. Michael Meyer does not do one thing that dominant, that, like, from a tight end perspective, Don Kincaid... His receiving ability separates him from everybody else. Does Michael Meyer do something specifically that separates him from everybody else? Because you could say run blocking, because that's what separates him or puts him above, some would say, Dalton Kincaid, but it doesn't put him above everybody else. You get what I'm saying? Does that make sense? It might not make sense, but Michael Meyer is definitely number two. Because Michael Meyer is a really well-rounded tight end. Very good blocker. Really solid receiver, not as good of a receiver as Dalton Kincaid, but a really solid blocker, nicknamed Baby Gronk, wear 87, first All-American tight end in Notre Dame since like the 60s. For a football institution like Notre Dame, that's pretty damn impressive. He had a very good career at Notre Dame. Then we have number three, uh, Darnell Washington, just the size. Matchup nightmare. 
that's what you have to really say with Darnell Washington. Six foot seven, like two hundred seventy pounds. Like dude's a freaking monster. There's room to grow with him as a receiver, but as regards to a run blocker, dominant in the run game. He's gonna be a really big threat in the red zone. Really big threat in the red zone, literally and figuratively. He'll be a really big threat in the red zone. Then we got Luke San or Luke, Sam Laporta from Iowa. The problem with Sam Laporta, I feel bad for him because I had to sit. I I watched it, watched it every freaking Saturday. Was having to play for that offense. Sam Laporta could be mentioned as one of the best tight ends in this draft class. Had he played for another school, and that, that's. And played for a better if the offense was better because Iowa obviously is tight end. You you got George Kittle, T.J. Hawkinson, Noah Fant. Like you got a lot of really solid tight ends. The NFL two of the top five tight ends. The NFL came from Iowa, so I'm not saying like he should have gone somewhere else, but he should have been able to play with a better offense. Sam Laporta was the best offensive weapon Iowa had. Like they would utilize him, and there's not a lot of tight ends that do that. Dalton Kincaid got used to it to a certain extent, but like shovel screens to Sam Laporta. Like you have a quarterback like freaking Sam or Spencer Petrus, one of the most inaccurate quarterbacks I've ever seen, one of the most flustered quarterbacks at all times I've ever seen. Works well with the media, but he can't put together on the field. Sam Laporta put up really solid numbers. Sort of his athleticism when he get those short little passes and take it 15 yards up the field. Dude's really solid in taking things from nothing and turning them into something. And obviously, even from Iowa, he knows how to block. You got to know how to block if you're from Iowa. Got to. So he's definitely capable of that. He's super athletic. I have a number four. Uh, number five, Luke Musgrave from Oregon State. Again, very solid receiver. Very solid receiver. Has a very high ceiling as a receiver. A big guy. Matchup nightmare, much like Darnell Washington. Six foot six, 250. Now, he didn't put up the massive numbers you're looking for him from a tight end position. This is more of a ceiling type thing. Like, he only had 169 yards receiving last year. But I think he can become some really good. I think, like... Tucker Craft from South Dakota State could be mentioned up here. You got Luke Schoonmaker from Michigan. Bretton Strange from Penn State. And you can look at the tight end position from the Combine's perspective. Zach Kuntz from Old Dominion is definitely someone athletically that could be up there. Josh Wiley from Cincinnati could be mentioned up there. Like, Luke Musgrave, I'm going off potential here because of his size. 6'6", 250. The catch radius is ridiculous. So I think he could definitely be somebody. I don't know if he'll be drafted in the first round. I think Sam Laporta has a chance, but I would say Luke Musgrave has a will probably go somewhere in the second round. I think we got two guarantees in Dalton Kincaid and Michael Meyer, and then Darnell Washington has a chance given his insane size and dominating in the run blocking department. And Sam Laporta has an outside shot, and then Luke Musgrave also has an outside shot. But I could see where teams would get off him because of the lack of production. And Tucker Kraft being an FCS player, uh, Zach Koontz being a lower-level player, I can see people not really liking them that much either, but their ceilings are really high. Luke Shoemaker, Brenton Strange are really nice tight ends. Josh Wiley, we already mentioned. And then the rest of the top 15 reads, Will Mallory from Miami, Davis Allen from Clemson, Payne Durham from Purdue, Cameron Ladu from Alabama, really nice receiving tight end, and then Braden Willis from Oklahoma. We had him running out the top 15. I don't know if he said the exact order, but... It goes Kincaid, Meyer, Washington, Laporta, Musgrave, Kraft, Schoonmaker, Strange, Coons, and Wiley. And Schoonmaker and Kraft can rotate. Like you could, you can move number six through ten in whatever order you want. That it wouldn't really bother me all that much. I think there's, there's this is just a really deep tight end class. It's a very solid tight end class. So you're gonna get somebody you could get in the first round that you feel like could like Dalton Kincaid. He could be someone for the Packers. It could work beautifully for Jordan Love since Robert Tunyon left. 
but they could also get someone a little bit later in the draft as well that could also work out. The Packers will want to go in that direction. There's a lot of options at tight end. Off to tackles, this, this starts off Peter Skronsky's number one, but I, I struggle because I don't know if I want to put him at guard or tackle because apparently people feel like he could be a Hall of Fame guard. That's what reports are saying. People view him as a guard, but as far as right now, he's still a tackle. So I'll list him here at tackle, but he's number one. He's just consistent. Same thing with Sean Slater. He's just consistent. That's all you can really look for. He never gives up anything, never gives an inch. He got beat by um, Lucas Van Ness or got powered back by Lucas Van Ness, but other than that, dude never gets beat. It's just super, super consistent, which is all you can ask for. Uh, as regards to Par- like the next two, Paris Johnson and Broderick Jones, they're athletic. Like, like Broderick Jones, they're different, Broderick Jones and Paris Johnson. Paris Johnson is what you're looking for for a prototypical car, or prototypical tackle. 6'6", 215, 3, or 315, 320, length for days, super athletic, has played guard in college, may be the first tackle off the board. We'll have to see. Still raw in a few traits, but you'd love the athleticism there. In regards to Broderick Jones, he may have the highest ceiling. He may have the highest ceiling. He's very young, he's very athletic, and he's built like a freaking brick shit house. He's six foot four. He's not the biggest guy out there. Him and Skronsky are not necessarily the biggest tackles in the world, but the dude's powerful. And the problem is he gets a little bit too, I don't want to say antsy, but he'll try to lunge out a little bit more, which could cause him to get beat. You see that more downfield than actually in the pocket, but I think his ceiling is very high. Then we got number four, Darnell Wright from Tennessee. Again, he's a right tackle. So all the other guys we mentioned are left tackles. All the other two, the other three we mentioned are left tackles. Darnell Wright is a right tackle, but he can play left tackle. <laughs> I got gotta make sure I say that so Darnell Wright does not come for me on social media, like he did that one Bengals fan. He called him a dick eater on social media, which I think is hilarious, which almost put him at number one for me. But this dude, the tape against Will Anderson is some of the best you'll ever see. Will Anderson, again, widely considered to be the best player in the draft. And Darnell Wright handled him. And that game against Alabama, where Alabama's coming to town, Tennessee's not necessarily supposed to be this good. They're supposed to be good, but not this good. You got a Heisman candidate quarterback. You got a speedster at wide at, wide, at Jalen Hyatt. You got Cedric Tillman as well. And you got Willie Anderson standing across from you. Guess what? You do not lay an inch. You do not give an inch. Dominates him. Or not dominates, but plays very, very well against him. Very. He, there's talks about him being the first tackle off the board. There's a lot of stuff swinging up towards that direction of being the first tackle off the board, and I would not be shocked by that. And number five is Anton Harrison. This dude is the most ath- probably the most athletic tackle in the draft, but like some of the other tackles from past years, like Charles Cross, Andre Dillard, like those guys, super athletic tackles. The problem is there's not a lot of run-blocking experience in there, which is kind of concerning, but this is, comes all the time from teams that come from pass-happy teams like Oklahoma like Dylan Gabriel like they what I had it in the last mock draft we had but it was some ridiculous number of pass blocking snaps very few number of run blocking snaps now he had more than Charles Cross who got drafted ninth overall by Seattle but the fact that he's six he's 21 years old just turned 21 years old if I remember correctly there's a lot of room to work there so I could really see like a team like the Eagles who have Lane Johnson there who always seem to have a guy in place for an older player when he retires. To learn under a guy like Lane Johnson, I think would be beautiful for Anton Harrison. Super, his athleticism insane is eight. Like, he's got the potential to be very, very solid. 
I think he could be even higher than this. He could be one of those guys that goes a little bit higher than a lot of people expected. And the rest of the top 15 reads, Dewan Jones from Ohio State, just a monster. Absolute monster. Moves really well for being a monster as well. This is like Isaiah Wilson from Georgia we talked about last show. Like, this this guy can move. They got Matthew Bergeron from Syracuse. Jalen Duncan from Maryland. Blake Freeland from BYU. Super athletic. You looked at what he did at the Combine. Super athletic stuff there. Tyler Steen from Alabama. Carter Warren from Pitt. Wanya Morris from Oklahoma. Ryan Hayes from Michigan. Warren McClendon from Georgia who can also play guard. And Trevor Reed from Louisville. And speaking of guards, I have rotated the top four a thousand times and I don't have an exact order. Uh, Steve Avila from TCU, Joe Tippman from Wisconsin, Osiris Torrance from Florida, and John Michael Schmitz from Minnesota. I don't know which one's going to go first. I like all of them. I like all of them. I like Cody Motch, too. So that's the top five. Congratulations. That's the top five. Cody Motch is a... So we'll start with him since he's at the bottom because he's the biggest question mark, I guess you could say, because he's never played guard before. But everybody's expecting him to play guard. And he looked a little shaky at times throughout the Senior Bowl process. But it's hard not to like a guy like this. Like, he's just a very likable guy. He's got no front teeth. As someone that doesn't have any front teeth himself, I like a guy like Cody Motch. So I want to see him do well. So I'll be rooting for him every freaking time. He's got the long red hair and everything. Was a really good tackle North Dakota State. Dominant in the run game as well. North Dakota State being a predominantly run-heavy run team, that helps a lot. Because you can kind of, it to a certain extent, you can kind of teach pass blocking better than you can teach run blocking. Run blocking is a little bit more technical, I guess you could say, than pass block. It's like you want a guy that's super dominant in the run game, and then you can learn him up to be a pass blocker. Like I find it in the NFL, you have a guy that's been a pass happy system, not struggle. They're struggling to get into the run hab- the run habits, and be a little bit harder to do that. So I Cody Motch is just an interesting guy for me. But the other guys, like Tipman, Tipman six foot six, like he is the bigger center. John Michael Schmitz is not as big as Joe Tipman. But it's close. Like they're, and they're Big Ten schools. Like they're just hard. It's hard to separate the top guys. The, the interior, the interior off the linemen, are very hard to like separate. And I don't like it. I don't like it. Like John Michael Schmitz is six foot three, three oh one. What is Joe Tipman? I know Joe Tipman's six foot six, but what's his weight? What did he come in as at the combine? Three fifth, three thirteen. So he's three inches taller and about ten pounds heavier. The John Michael Schmitz. And he's a sick flow. And he's a sick flow. You can all and you can also it's always a safe bet to have a guy from Wisconsin. Off linemen from Wisconsin are usually safe bets. Like you look at Tyler Frederick. Early draft pick. The Cowboys took him early. Ended up working out very, very well before he had to retire. Joe Thomas, very solid off lineman from Wisconsin. Wisconsin off lineman always seem to work out well in the NFL. And Joe Titman can do that, especially since he can play guard and center. Joe Tittman and Joe, John Michael Schmitz are two of the, the top two centers in this trap by a, a little bit of a margin. And then you got Osiris Torrance, who never gave up a sack at Florida, but I, I question some things around him. I question some things, right? He's a big dude. He's about like he's got the size of some tackles in this draft. Like he's six foot five, about two or two, three forty, three fifty. But I don't know. I don't know. I, I can't even really explain it because he gave up no sacks while at Florida. I can't really explain it, but like Steve Avila, this is where I struggle with like the guard thing. Steve Avila can also play center, and you watch what he did against Jaren, uh, Jalen Carter, holding his own against Jalen Carter in the national championship game. Though they were getting absolutely blasted, he played well. 
Steve Avila is a very solid. I love his demeanor. I love how he carries himself. He plays confidently. Like, I don't know. The top five in this draft in regards to tier off alignment is a wash. You can put him in whatever order you want. And then we got the rest of the top 10 or top 15 reach. Luke Weipler from Ohio State. Olu Oluwatimi from Michigan. Jarrett Patterson from Notre Dame can play literally everywhere on the offensive line. Ricky Stromberg from Arkansas. Emil Ikior from Alabama. Andrew Voorhees would be a lot higher. Tackle guard hybrid would be a lot higher if he didn't tear his ACL at the combine. McClendon Curtis from Tennessee Chattanooga. You had Cole Strange last year. Now you got McClendon Curtis. You got Brayden Daniels from Utah. Nick Broker from Ole Miss. And then Alex Forsyth from Oregon. Uh, moving to the interior defense alignment. Jalen Carter's number one. The only concern that you really have for Jalen Carter, and this could be a massive concern, is that he takes plays off or has been known to take some plays off. Does that concern people? Sure. Sure. But his athletic ceiling is ridiculous. He might be the best player in the draft if you could keep him in check. If you keep the off-the-field uh, distractions to a minimum, you might have the best player in the draft. And he might fall because of that, but that could be the gain of other people. Like Warren Sapp fell all the way to 13. Different circumstance, but fell all the way to 13, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers ended up winning a Super Bowl out of that. Got one of the best defensive tackles of all time. And then, so he's the guaranteed number one. And then you get to the rest of them, it's kind of a, you know, you can move them around however you want. But my top five reads, Kalijah Cansey from Pitt, Mozzie Smith from Michigan, Brian Bressy from Clemson, and Keanu Benton from Wisconsin. So Kalijah Cansey is not the biggest guy, 6'1", 280. Not the biggest guy out of the rest of these, the shortest one of these guys. But fast, super fast. will be a three technique in the NFL. Fast, quick from the inside, productive. He's what you want from that in regards to a speed rusher from that position. Like Ed Oliver, that's what the Bills thought they were getting from that position when they drafted the ninth overall from Houston. Similar-ish style to that. I'm not going to compare him to Aaron Donald, even though all of, his, all of his combine measurements, his college, everything compares him to Aaron Donald. I don't want to do that. Mozzie Smith, on the other hand, is a big-ass dude. This dude is huge. Compared to Mozzie Smith, or compared to Kalijah Cansey, Mozzie Smith is freaking monstrous. So as we said, Kalijah Cansey comes in at 6'1", 280. Mozzie Smith's 6'3", 323 pounds. Sneaky athleticism. According to the NFL.com combine page, the NFL combine is the second most athletic defensive tackle in this draft class. I think you could probably guess who the number one most athletic defensive tackle was in this draft. Because we just brought him up, and that's Kalaja Kansi, because he ran insanely fast in, a, in, a, in his 40-yard dash time, tested really well. Like These two are very athletic. Different skill sets, but athleticism, athleticism doesn't always need to be the same exact thing. There could be different forms of athleticism. Especially when you've got, what, 40 pounds on the other guy? Like Mozzie Smith, I could definitely see going in the first round. Definitely. We had him going in the first round last time. I could definitely see him going there again. Uh, Brian Bressy, this dude has the potential to be a top 10 pick in the draft. He just can't stay healthy. And there's a lot of inconsistencies from his presence. But he plays hard. I'll give him credit. He plays really hard. But he's had a major injury every single year in college. That is wildly concerning. That is, wild, that is, that is concerning. And there, to be honest, I almost put him below Keanu Benton. And Keanu Benton is a big dude as well, much like Mozzie Smith. So we're kind of going three-tech. I guess it was, well, three tech, we're going to skip Carter from Cansey down three tech, big guy, three tech, big guy. Cause Brian Bressy will be a three tech as well. Keanu Benton didn't necessarily run the fastest or jump the highest or do any of that stuff, but he's powerful. Again, it's a Wisconsin lineman. 
Wisconsin linemen, you can pretty much bet on being safe. There's safe guys. You look at the other D tackles in the draft. He didn't run the best out of all of them, but ran fine enough. Ran fine enough. Did Mozzie Smith run the 40? No, he did not. But I don't really hold a lot of weight to, you know, defensive tackles running the 40-yard dash. He jumped decently high. He jumped higher than Brian Bressey. It's not insanely high, but again, for a defensive tackle, it's pretty decent. But yeah, again, it's just powerful dude from the defensive tackle spot. And then the rest of the top five, top 15 reads, Tuli Tuipilovtu, who would also play as an edge rusher if you want him to. Siaki Ika from Baylor, monster dude. So again, back to the strategy we're at again. Jervon Dexter, athletic free, athletic dude from the interior D-line. Carl Brooks from Bowling Green. Kobe Turner from Wake Forest. Zach Pickens from South Carolina. Byron, Byron Young, the first one we'll mention, from Alabama. Colby Wolin from Auburn. Mike Morris from Michigan. And Jacqueline Roy from LSU. Hold on. I gotta, I've been sitting here a long-ass time. I got to like rub my head a little bit because I've... Freaking my head's itching. Cause I, get, I got a hat on, and I've been sitting here forever. I'm starting to sweat. How long is this show gone for? Good Lord, we're going to have two and a half hours. Gosh darn it. Ugh. My ass is hurting because I'm sitting on this freaking chair. I've moved for like 10 seconds to get more water because my throat was hurting. Goodness grace, we're going to speed run this now. Uh, edge rushers. Uh, we already said this one the other day. Uh, Will Anderson won Tyree Wilson, Lucas Van Ness, Nolan Smith, Will McDonald. I said my reasoning on Wednesday because Will McDonald playing as a 3-4-ish defensive end is insanely impressive given that he's 6'4", 240. That's really impressive. Now, Miles Murphy will probably get drafted before him because of his length. Like, dude's got insanely long arms. He's very athletic. But I think Will McDonald is just super impressive for what he did at Iowa State. He's Big 12's all-time leading sack hitter. Lucas Van Ness being versatile enough to play both inside and outside. Tyree Wilson's length is ridiculous. Nolan Smith and Will McDonald, both speedsters. Uh, Will Anderson is just the best overall there. Nolan Smith's injury history could be a concern to some people, but I think his ceiling is very high. And then the rest of it, uh, Adetomo Adabaro from Northwestern. Felix Anaduke Uzoma from Kansas State. Keon White from Georgia Tech. BJ Ojolari from LSU. Derek Hall from Auburn. Byron Young, who tested really well from Tennessee. Isaiah Foskey from Notre Dame, Andre Carter from Army, and Zach Harrison from Ohio State. Uh, linebackers, I rotate with this one, but the top five stayed the same. I kind of rotate the order around however what, which way. That's Drew Sanders, Jack Campbell, Trenton Simpson, Diane Henley from Washington State, and Dorian Williams. I think Diane Henley from Washington State could very well end up being the best linebacker in this draft class. I like him a lot from Washington State. Dorian Williams has been a really fun watch as well. Him and Ty J. Spears. Like, if you didn't watch Tulane last year, and again, Tulane was a good team. They were a very good team. Like, they're, oh, crap, who did they play the conference championship game against? So I remember watching that with Brady, because I was at Brady's house for, like, 12 hours. We watched United States, England. It was United States, England, and United States, Netherlands in the morning. And then we watched the pack, the Big 12 championship game. Then we watched this championship game. And then we watched the Big 10, and then, or SEC, and then the Big 10 championship game. Watched a lot of different sports that day. But Tulane's fun. Tulane's very fun. Dory Williams is fun. Uh, the rest of the top ten, top 15, Ivan Pace from Cincinnati. Really solid pass rusher from the uh, linebacker position. Then we got Henry Toa Toa from Alabama. Noah Sewell from Oregon. DeMarvian Overshone from Texas. Mohamed Diabate from Utah. Transfer from Florida. Nick Herbig from Wisconsin. Owen Papo from Oregon. Ventral Miller from Florida. Yasir Abdullah from Louisville. And Isaiah Land from Florida. A&M. Cornerbacks, 
Uh, Devin Witherspoon and Christian Gonzalez, you could rotate however you want. I just like Devin Witherspoon's relentlessness in the cornerback position. He's not as big as Wither or as Gonzalez, Gonzalez, but I, the relentlessness, the willingness to just put your head on the line for any position or any player. For geez, I'm tired. I'm sorry. I've been doing this for a lot, a while now. And the willingness to put your body on the line for the betterment of the team is big. He's dominant in man coverage, even though he's not very big. I really like Devin Witherspoon, but again, Christian Gonzalez is athletic as hell. He's got the length you're looking for in today's corners, and I think with Sauce Gardner being as good as what he was in Tark Wolin from UTSA going to Seattle and being as good as he was, I think teams could see Christian. I could see Christian Gonzalez going before Devin Witherspoon, which is what we talked about in the mock draft, the short little mock draft we did. Like in that situation, if that takes place, Christian Gonzalez going to Arizona, that could happen. And speaking of size and length, that's Joey Porter Jr. I think coming from an NFL family also helps here as well. He didn't test as particularly well as what a lot of people were expecting. But, hey, shit happens. Uh, we got Deontay Banks, who did test extremely well from Maryland. And Emmanuel Forbes came in a lot smaller than what people were expecting, but he's an absolute ball hawk. He came in at only 166 pounds, but his arms are really long, and he has a, just a nose for the football. I think he had 14 interceptions this time at Mississippi State. Just ridiculous numbers. Uh, six, DJ Turner, speed. And him and Keely Ringo, you can rotate around. Because Keely Ringo, again, we've talked about is, though he is inconsistent and raw, his length, size and length and speed, like, for how big he is or how fast he ran, like, or can run, like, he could be really, really solid at the next level. But DJ Turner is a, and DJ Turner's smaller than Keely Ringo, but I think he's more consistent. Than Killy Ringo. And then we got Cam Smith from South Carolina, which South Carolina corners are. I, I always like South Carolina corners. They got a nice old temperament about them. Uh, then we got Julius Brents from Kansas State, Tyreek Stevenson from Miami, Clark Phillips from Utah, Eli Ricks, the LSU transfer, now at Alabama, Travis Hodges Tomlinson from TCU, LT's cousin or nephew, I can't remember, Riley Moss from Iowa, and then Darius Rush from South Carolina. So we got two USC guys in the top 10 there. And then safeties. Uh, we got Brian Branch from Alabama could play corner, safety, nickel, linebacker, whatever. Uh, Antonio Johnson's got the size. He's about six foot three, two twenty. Like he's got elite size for that position. Sidney Brown and Jar- uh, Jartavius Martin. We got both of them in the top six from Illinois. Tested extremely well. Super athletic guys. Jamie Robinson from Florida State. Then Jair Brown from Penn State. And we already brought up Jartavius Martin. Then Jordan Battle, Chris Smith, J.L. Skinner from Boise State, Brandon Joseph from Notre Dame, Daniel Scott. From Cal, Jay Ward from LSU, Ronnie Hickman from Ohio State, Rashad Torrance from Florida, and Kayvon Merriweather. I had to fit at the Iowa guy in there, but good Lord. I had to speed run the end of it. I apologize. We're not as thorough as what we probably should have been because I just need to get this thing done. I thought about waiting until Monday, but who knows? We're going to have a show on Monday. I don't know. I got to watch a dog apparently, so we're going to see how that all takes place. But uh, yeah, I hope you enjoyed the show. You can check out this blog post on loganblattmanshow.com. You can check out other blog posts while you're there as well and check out all the other social media accounts we mentioned before. Make sure you like and subscribe to everything. And, uh, yeah, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Got a little long towards the end because, you know, when you're sitting here for a long-ass time, it it can get kind of like that. But make sure you follow and subscribe to the Apple Podcast, Spotify. Kind of leave a rating on the five stars. And I will see you all later. Have a good weekend. Go Bulls. Peace.